Episode 192, Stump the Band, Hotshot Scott. We're doing this again, like every episode? <laughs> I don't Is this know. the new thing? I'm looking for ways to start the show. Sue me, for oh, God's sake. Okay, fine. Let's because do it. what's going on right now isn't working. It's just flat out not working, is it? I decided after four years, yeah. we need a new way to start the show. Fine. Even though we're not really starting that. We're not officially. So this is a tease segment. It is, yes. But we need a way to start the tease segment. So in the last couple of weeks or month, I figured a little stump the band. But now I'm having trouble coming up with stump the band questions. See, that's me and the jokes. Like, it was cool for a while, but now I'm stuck. I'm was it cool for a while? Yeah, it was awesome at first. <laughs> now I'm tethered to these things. Well, the whole thing about Stump the Band back in the radio days was I didn't have to come up with the questions. Right, yeah. That's this was a way for me not to have to do any work <laughs> during a segment. You've carved out a career of that but, 23 years. But now <laughs> I know it's. I can't open the phone lines, although I'm working on that. Okay, good. I'm working on a recording device or some sort of a voicemail okay. that people can call in and voice their displeasure or say something sure. about sports, and then we can put them together. I'm working on that, but right. I guess our version of Stump the Band yeah. is I Ask the Question. Okay. I can't wait to not know it. Golf trivia. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> band from Mitch in the Morning. Oh. Would you like my Stump the Band golf trivia? Sure. Well, as you know, Hot Shots, Scott, and I'm sure you know because you follow it. That's right. Tiger Woods... Painfully hobbled to a nine over 79 on Saturday after really courageously making the cut. He needed to make a couple birdies late on Friday, mm. and he's hobbling around over there at Southern Hills, and he makes the birdies and makes wow. the cut. Then comes out really early in the morning on Saturday, and it's like 50 degrees. Yeah. He's frozen. He's got three le three layers on. He's yeah. hobbling around. He looks like the leg is killing him. Sure. He shoots 79. Everybody shot a million, but he shot. I mean, he's he's hitting shots that we've never seen him hit oh, before. Okay. Like routine chips that 99 out of 100, he would put three or four feet, like little routine chips. He was literally knocking across the green, over the green. Oh, and I mean, it was just, he just yeah. looked terrible. Okay. And then he withdrew. Oh, right. He withdrew. So the Stump the Band question to start 192 is, yeah. his 9 over 79 at the PGA Championship on Saturday okay. was not the worst score he's ever registered in a major championship. So the question is, what was Tiger's worst day ever as a pro yeah. in a major championship in his long and storied career in the U.S.? I was going to say I St. Say Andrews in, the, in 98, but that's not <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't know. I, and I say in the U.S. because the worst one he ever shot was 81. It was at Muirfield. It was like a monsoon. It was oh, okay. sideways range. So I'm throwing out the British. What, what was... If 79 wasn't the worst on Saturday, yeah. what was the worst round he's ever shot as a pro in the U.S. in a major championship? Did he ever stick it in the fan at the at Augusta? I thought he always just played well there. He I, did. It was not Augusta. It was not Augusta. No. When I, I, See, you should know me long enough to know, before I answer the question, why would Mitch ask the question? Yeah. Well, because, must he be just, a, because he just shot a nine no, over, no? No, no, This golf trivia, what do you want from me? What the hell do I, what do I look like over here, Hamilton? Why, why would Mitch ask this question? Yeah. Because the answer is June 18th, 2015, at Chambers Bay oh, in yeah. Tacoma, Washington of the U.S. 
The U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. He shot 80 in the first round on that Thursday in Tacoma. We are the answer to the trivia question. <laughs> Didn't everybody We complain? hold the record. <laughs> this, is our, this is our claim to fame. Yeah, we finally. held Tiger to 80 shots, for God's sakes. It took, it took Chambers Bay to hold yeah. him to 80. But that wasn't that what everyone was just being a big baby and complaining about? Didn't everyone <laughs> complain about the course? Yes, everybody complained about right, the course. Right, so it was, was it hard or was it just... For some. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a, an interesting stat about that 80 that he shot. It was okay. in the first round, yeah. and he was paired with two guys that you know very well. Good friends of yours. Steve Elkington? He was, he was paired with Ricky Fowler. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Who shot 81. Okay. <laughs> so when Tiger came off and they asked him about his 80, he said, I dominated Fowler. <laughs> the other guy in his group that shot 7 over 77 in the first round okay. was a guy named Louis Oosthuizen. Oh, sure, yeah who would rebound from seven over in the first round and only finish one shot out of a playoff. He finished in second place. Wow. He just tore it up the next three days. So did Tiger finish? The, did he go to the next day or did he just quit after the first He day? shot, as I recall, 76 the second day okay. for a two-day total of 16 over yeah. par. And he was shutting his trunk and going back to Slamming the private the plane trunk. and going... Going home back to Jupiter, Florida. Wow. That's the answer to your question. So was it was it sort of sad watching him? Like, do you yeah. think he'll he'll ever be Tiger again? Like, does he look done? Tiger again. You know, like, is he ever going to be a guy who's going to be relevant on the tour where it's he may funny. win it's here It's funny. There? You probably didn't watch, but it, it, it it's the question that a lot of people are asking. Okay. He's played now in two tournaments since the accident. Mm-hmm. He's what, 46, 47? I think he's about 46, 47 yeah, years old. I think old. he's my age, like 47, maybe a year younger. And he made the cut at the Masters. So sad. What the hell have I been doing for the last 48 years compared Not to what, what he's been doing? Jesus. <laughs> he's lived eight hot shot lives. No kidding, man. Um, he made the cut at the Masters. He made yeah. the cut at the PGA Championship, but he was a, non, a non-factor. He couldn't even finish the PGA Championship, partly because of the leg, partly because of the weather. And everybody, everybody's now kind of settling into, well... This whole notion that he's going to somehow wow us all again and win a major championship. Yeah. I, I don't want to jump to that conclusion because okay. it's easy to do it right now. I mean, the simple thing is is to react to what just – you know how that works. You react to something that just happened. Right. And you have this overreaction. And I kind of – I kind of prefer to sit back and watch and see what happens. And but the, but the, But the reality is he doesn't look like a guy – no matter how great he's been and how many odds he's overcome in the past, he does not look like a guy who's going to be able to rehab to the point where he's going to be able to put four. Look at it. Look at it this way, though. Okay. Look at it this way. We're all asking the question: Will he ever win another major? Will he ever win another Masters? Consider this: He's 46, 47 46, years old. Yeah. Okay, 46. How often do 46-year-olds? that are completely healthy, that are great. Yeah. How often do they win major championships when they're completely healthy? How often does that happen? I'm guessing not very often. Okay. Phil Mickelson, 50 years old, won the PGA on this weekend a year ago. Okay. And people were calling it one of the greatest accomplishments in golf. This is a guy in Phil Mickelson who I can't stand, but is probably the second greatest player of his generation. Yeah. He's 50 years old. He hasn't had back surgeries. He hasn't had leg surgeries. He certainly didn't almost lose his leg in a car accident. They're calling a guy who's been completely healthy till 50, winning a major at 50, one of the greatest accomplishments of all time in the history of golf, 
Now you take a guy who's almost 50, five back surgeries, six leg surgeries, almost had his leg amputated, almost lost his life. Right. So why, why are we? <laughs> yeah. Part of me is asking, why are we even asking this question? It's, it's almost preposterous. In fact, I would say that if he were to win the PGA this week, or if he would have won the Masters, it would not have been just the greatest accomplishment in the history of golf. It probably would have been the most unlikely story in the history of sports. Wow. Buster Douglas, you name him. Now, yeah. you might say, well, hold on, Mitch. Tiger was 19 or 20 or 25 to 1, and Buster Douglas was 38 to 1. I don't give a shit about the odds. Yeah. The odds are only what, what they think we're going to bet exactly. on. That's all yeah, that is. Yeah. Okay, him winning one of these tournaments at 46 after what he's been through yeah. would be... Like earth shattering. So would it be Foreman winning the belt at forty two or whatever he was? Bigger, or bigger. Wow, bigger, yeah. Yeah. bigger. This is a guy who's trying to just play. Like he's trying to just show up at a major. He's not even playing any other golf tournaments. He's showing up at a major on one leg. Yeah. What's what's to make us think that he's going to be able to put four rounds together? And win one of these things. Do you think it would behoove him to play tournaments that aren't majors just to see how, like... He can, yeah, but he's he's what he's saying is he can't. He can't, okay. So how does a guy win? You just drop in? Hey, I'm going to drop in at, the, at Augusta having not played <laughs> yeah, in six months and win the Masters? He's yeah. not going to win yeah. that way. Yeah. But so, I think we look at him as a superhuman, though. We do. I mean, we look we at, do. with Jordan. I mean, he, we do. he was 45 and he's out, you know, 42, whatever he was. And we thought at some point he had 50 in him. And I, I just offer, look at him I just offer this perspective to, I think we have to redefine what's great. I, the reason I'm bringing this up is if he had never had a leg surgery or had all those back fusions and, yeah. and, and didn't get in a car accident and he had just been healthy Tiger Woods all these years and won at age 46 this week at the PGA Championship, we'd be going, oh, my God, that's one of the five or six. Yeah, fair point. Guys who, guys who turn 50, they're playing on the Champions Tour. <laughs> right. They're not winning major championships on the regular tour. It doesn't yeah. happen. It, like, never happens. It would have been amazing now, if you would have been healthy. Healthy. To do it. That's, yeah. what, that's yeah. why I'm bringing the point up. So, for all of us, I mean, just whoa. I right. mean, just whoa. Yeah. Just Set whoa. your expectations a little bit. I, does it does it feel now, like now now am I willing to completely write him off like everybody has been doing since Saturday? My answer to that is it's easy to react when we're in the moment. That's yeah. the first thing, and the second thing is two things happened at the Masters and the PGA Championship. You got to remember two things happened. Okay. Number one is he dropped in in both without playing any other tournaments and made the cut in both. Pretty good, impressive, yes. And then he couldn't play the weekend of the Masters. He was terrible. He played the four days. In the PGA, he was terrible on Saturday, and he quit. Yeah. But one thing was common about both of those two tournaments. It was unseasonably cold mm. and windy in the third round. Let's see what happens when he gets into, like, a U.S. Open. I don't even know. I don't even think he's going to play the U.S. Open this year. But let's see when he plays a tournament, one of these majors, and it's hot. Right. And, you know, you know it's completely different. He needs like sweltering heat to stay. Yeah. I think he's going to be a lot better in warm and warm temperatures. than he, he looked frozen on sat on Saturday. Look frozen. I mean, you hear about older people. They, they move to Florida and Arizona. Why do they do that? Because of the arthritis and everything else, and, the joints. And hurt they're and not <laughs> crashing cars in LA and, <laughs> right. and being like yanked out of car. Yes. Yeah. And then playing professionally at the highest his, level for their his sport. His leg yeah. was rebuilt. It's like Humpty Dumpty. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. So he needs, so, 
let's not completely close the book. Let's leave it this far open. I okay. have my fingers right. Until he plays, until A, he gets a little bit further removed from this, maybe more rehab, maybe he gets stronger. Yeah. B, let's let him let's let him play in some warmer temperatures. Yeah. And the third thing is, and I don't know that the third thing's ever gonna happen. He needs to play in, as you point out, he needs yeah. to play in a couple tournaments. Yeah. Between these things, right. he can't just drop in. Right? Who? I mean, yeah, he's Tiger Woods, but yeah. you don't just drop in and win majors. It's like sitting out the whole season and then joining the Super Bowl yeah, to play happen. running back, right? I mean, you haven't played all year. Hey, by the way, I haven't told you, Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. Oh, it is. I'm still. supposed to do that at the beginning. Okay, good. Did you get the trivia? Did everybody get the stump the bin? All right. Yeah, yeah. Chambers Bay. So for now on, yeah. Try to analyze why is Mitch oh. asking this? You know, homework. Who's got the effort? I know, studying. Please, please, please rate and review us on Apple. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron, five dollars a month. Have access to all the bonus shows. Danny O'Neill, Slickhawk, the music entries. If there's ever another one, um, if you'd like to be a patron with access, every time I'm going to hear that, aren't I? Until you do one. Yeah, I know. Five bucks a month. If it's an issue, the five bucks a month, I'll take care of you. I promise. The the whole point of the thing is not to exclude people who want to hear the Danny show and the Slickhawk show and the shows that we do during the week, which is the focal point of my next shtick, even though we haven't started the show. Okay. I sent out a note to patrons. You may or may not have seen this. You're a patron. Yes. Asking them. We're almost four years in now. Can you believe that? That's crazy. November will be four years. We're three and a half years. Is We're, that right? Four years? Four years. To, to November 2018 was when we started the podcast. Wow. You know, not when we. Yeah. When, when the podcast was started. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Some might say it didn't really officially begin until you came. That's true. Most would say that. Yeah. So I decided I hadn't written to the patrons much. I should do that more often. I click a button and it goes to all the patrons. And I asked for people to share with us constructive criticism. Yeah, I was a little Did nervous when I saw that email. I was a little, I was a little nervous. Feel free to let us know what you think after three and a half years. Oh, Are we doing the right things? Do you like the patron shows? We've changed them around a little bit. We do the long form shows on Monday. We do the shorter because a lot of people said the Monday show is too long. So we do shorter shows on Thursday and Friday. We include Slicker. We got other voices now. We yeah. got a lot of people, a little bit on the payroll, the whole thing, yeah. right? So I figured, let's get what people have to say. Maybe it'll give me some idea. And I always forget when I send that out. <laughs> How could you forget? The minute I saw it hit my inbox, I was like, oh, God, here we go. What the is he doing? I forget because what ends up happening is I'm more confused after I start getting yeah. e And I got a lot of them. First of all, oh, I was kind you? of impressed. Wow, great. Oh, I had, to, I had to have received at least six. <laughs> no. <laughs> a new record. Good. I got a lot of them, hmm. like a lot, a lot, a lot. Okay. People were very nice. And most of the people, God bless their hearts, yeah. were just like, I don't want to critique. or Just, you're doing a great job, and I love oh, it, that's period. Nice. That's very nice. Yeah, yeah. But th those don't help me. It doesn't really help, yeah. But the other ones don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Is it 50-50, I hate this, I well, love this? I, well, I, I, got, mean... I got a couple samples for Oh, you. great. And by the way, oh, a lot God. of these were like right after one another. Don't worry, it's not about you. Okay. I love the fact that like these, some of these emails literally were like, boop, 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 boop. Like it was a tennis match going back right. and forth. They didn't even know it. <laughs> right. Like the, these, these few. Hey, Mitch, shooting the shit with Slick is one of my favorite parts of the week. The timing with you and Slickhawk is great. You two play off each other so well. You listen to each other and it's fun to listen in. Never listen to Danny before the podcast 
but I'm really enjoying what he brings to the show also. Really insightful takes on the topics that you bring up. Signed, Dan. Nice. The very next email. Hey, Mitch, love the Monday show. The peace shows with Danny and Slick. Not so much. Oh, Sorry, boy. dude. <laughs> Signed, Frank. So what do you do? The next one oh, no. just got done with shooting the shit that came out today. It's hands down my favorite podcast segment of all unfiltered shows. All right, it's two to one. Listening to you two <laughs> is some of the best shit that I get to enjoy all week. So thank yeah. you, Sign Dennis. All right. The very next one. Mitch, love you, love Scott, love Danny. The show with Slick falls flat. Maybe it'll improve someday. And now it's two to two. That's Bob. <laughs> Mitch, love all the shows. The P episodes with Danny O'Neill are unquestionably the best. It's hard to believe that anyone could disagree with that. Wow. Phil in Tacoma says, well, Phil, you didn't read Patrick's, which was the next email. <laughs> Maybe a tad less Danny, please. Oh. Mitch, writes Susan, I think you and Scott have great chemistry. I also love your conversations with Slickhawk, and Danny is kind of growing on me. Okay. John, I was and am a fan of both Danny and Slick back in their on-air days, but they just don't seem to have the same level of passion on your podcast. Maybe it's the topics or the format. Sorry. So are they blaming John, that on you, sort of, know. for ruining them? Brian writes, love the peace shows with Danny co-hosting. Oh, God. Breath of fresh air and perspective from a Northwest guy, but living afar in addition to his great self-deprecating humor. Hmm. But Josh writes, Danny's just not a good fit. Oh, my God. The other shows are great. This went on. I mean, <laughs> Your head this was such this? great entertainment. I mean, I sat for literally an hour reading. These things started coming in, yeah. and it was literally, oh, you guys are great. They suck. Your guys are great. They suck. Danny's oh, terrific. God. He sucks. Slickhawk's wonderful. He doesn't have passion for the job. Yeah. I mean, I came away from this going, okay, do they like it or do right. they not like so it? So now you're back to zero. It's just <laughs> complete wash after all that, right? <laughs> you know exactly as much as no you idea. did before you sent the email. I have no idea. No, I know less. You know, actually know less. Yeah, right. I just, I'm, I'm I feel like I've been uh, hit both ways. I have no idea. Yeah. So what do you want me to do with these things? Uh, and the by the way, sent the, sent the email and, and by the way, yeah. many, just about 100%, I want you to know, just yeah. about 100%, love you. Just about. What, love you. That's very nice. Thank you. But, but I think what happened was since I was sending them to the patrons, I think they thought maybe I was asking, I probably was asking about the patron stuff. So a lot oh, of them didn't refer saying. to you. But those who did refer to you yeah. that got your name right, um, <laughs> Hot slop Scott or something. Yeah. Yeah. Sure shot. They say you've got great timing. Oh, I do. Timing. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. You're the Dave Chappelle. You're the... Uh, okay. He. Okay. Did he jump He's up taking, on stage yeah. with somebody? What did he do? So, and why do you know more about that than Tiger DQing <laughs> at the PGA Championship? So he jumped up on stage with who? Uh, John Mulaney. Oh, I like John Mulaney. He's funny. Very funny. Yes. Yeah. Troubled, so, but funny. He jumped on stage with Mulaney. And it was one of those shows where people's cell phones had to be locked up. You heard about this? People no. started starting to lock no. up people's oh, cell like phones. Oh, like the guy in London. Or like That's the guy, right. yeah. It's, the guy in Kent. I think it's more because they don't want the content getting out there. They don't want people, they don't want oh. to tape, don't tape my show. I'm working some, whatever. Okay. So Chappelle jumps up and then makes some sort oh. of transphobic joke. And then, Oh, why did he have to do that? And then Chappelle, or then uh, Mulaney hugs him. Oh. In front of it, because they're friends, and yeah. then the whole place didn't like it. Uh, and uh, Not the whole place, but a lot of people laughed at the transphobic joke. And so, yeah, it's just he can't win, Chappelle. Yeah. He just can't stop. He just is stuck on this one thing. And I don't know if Mulaney knew what he was going to say, but, yeah, he's taking a lot of shit. Maybe Chappelle it. just likes this. 
He might. Maybe I don't know. he just likes the 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 animosity and the hatred. Maybe he's just sort of he dug wants into to that. Do, he wants to do stuff that's controversial. Yeah. He likes the fact that the guy jumped up on stage and tried to kill him. He, maybe he just he feeds. He, he thinks that that's the way to stay in the headlines and to be successful. It feels a little that. easy to me. It's kind of low uh, low hanging fruit to me. But, but I, what do I know? That. I'm he no comic. I know he's a genius. What everyone says. So. All right. Guess on this episode 192 shot hot shot. Uh, you may or may not know that May, which is almost finished, is a Mental Health Awareness Month. Now, okay. you and I are not going to do, you and I, we are not going to do a new podcast for next Monday. Oh, we're not. We're taking Memorial Day and that week off. That's good. The so. week, not not this coming week, but the next. So Memorial Day and then the, the peace shows are that following week, first week of June, yeah. we're taking off. So this is our final Big show of of May. Of May, right? I'll be in one at you anyway, so it's good timing. Will you be? Oh yeah. Oh good. Come come say hello if you're out there on Memorial Day yeah, weekend. I plan on going to one at you. <laughs> and you might know that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and you happen to you certainly know that I have spent a lot of time on this show, dedicating segments to mental health yeah. and awareness. So I wanted to do something on this show before May ends. Okay. And I've asked, and she was great to come on. You wouldn't know the name Victoria Emmy. I didn't know the name until about 10 days ago. Okay. She's a young professional tennis player, went to the University of Florida, grew up kind of near where I grew up. Okay. Um, and she was very unhappy, had terrible, terrible bouts of depression, tried to kill herself a couple of times as a 15 and 16-year-old. It's a really hard story. But she survived. And she still fights it, but she decided to tell the world her story. Okay. And she is amazing. Great. She is ama She's already saving people's lives. And she did this on a couple of websites and on her Instagram. And I was like, oh, my God, she's got to come on our show yeah. if she would. So I reached out to her. I told her about us. And she said yes. Great. So she's the first guest in the first guest segment. There's actually two guests in the first guest segment. Okay. Her And I... I know that some people like come to Mitch Unfiltered to get away from all this heaviness. Yeah. And if you're one of those people, I understand if you don't want to listen. But if you're willing, it's not funny. It's not one of our funny, entertaining football or basketball segments. Yeah. But it's more important than all of that combined. If you're willing, you need to hear it. If you're a parent of a middle school kid a high school kid, yeah. an athlete, a non-athlete, a college kid, you need to hear it. He's if you're willing to listen, you need to hear it. You will, you will look at yourself in the mirror as a parent, I promise you, okay. and say, okay, um, you will learn stuff from this, and you will be a better parent as a result of some of the things that she says. Not only is she in that first segment, do you remember Tyler Helinski? Of course. Tyler Helinski, who, who took his own life, in, in 2018, quarterback of Washington State, his father, Mark, and, and mom, Kim, have set up the Holinsky. They've been on before. They've yep. been on the show before. So Mark comes on this show right after Victoria finished. So oh, I did 20 minutes with, with Victoria and then about 12 or 15 minutes with Mark. And I'm telling you, if you're willing to just understand it's a serious subject, it's right. not fun and games, not escape, but you're a parent... I promise after these 30 or 35 minutes, you will ask questions differently. You will look at your kid differently and you will learn something that will be very, very, very therapeutic and healthy. I promise you that. 
You said if 15 you or 16. I'm thinking, well, that's a ways down the road. For Piper's 13. Yes, she is. Like, that's in two years. And you know what? Like, there are 13 so year olds that are struggling too. No question. And there are 14 yeah. year olds. And in the last eight weeks, you know this because we've talked about it on the show. I think it's up to five, five women athletes, including a cheerleader. Yep. Have committed suicide. Five. By the way, that we have know died of. by suicide. I'm not supposed to say committed suicide. Have died by yeah. suicide. Five of them in eight weeks. Soccer, soccer at Stanford, track and field at Wisconsin, softball at James Madison, cheerleader at Southern University. And there's a five. Right. So it's a it's obviously a very, very fragile and sensitive subject that we all can learn from. If you're willing to take 30 minutes and listen to segment number one and realize it's not going to be fun in games, but it's going to be important. Right. I promise you. I'm in. You will applaud this girl, woman, 22 yeah. now, out of Florida, playing professionally, still struggling. You'll hear in her voice that while she's survived, she's still struggling. You'll actually feel her. Mm. Okay? okay? It's important. Anyway, so that's I'm the in. first segment for May uh, mental, mental Health. God knows I need to become a better parent, so I'm listening. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that we're not good parents. We're all good parents. We all have our... It's more of a joke because I can't take anything I know, serious. I know, yeah. but this is serious. It is, I know. This is serious, and it's... The message is you may just not know. Which is and scary that's the to scariest, every yeah. That's the scariest part. That's right. Yeah. We all walk around thinking we know. We may not know. Yeah. And I think what this segment does, and I know I'm selling it hard, I'm selling it hard because I want parents to hear this. This might this might tell you what to look for mm. that we're not already looking for. Okay. Okay. That's good. For from Piper to Brett to Max to all the other kids. Okay. Uh, that's that's just segment number one. We'll we'll do that. Segment number two, I know what you're gonna say. Segment number two, I read this story about a guy in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Who in nineteen like sixty seven was asked to start the baseball program at a small college called Bentley College. It's now Bentley University. It's actually a very academic school. Okay. He was asked in like nineteen sixty seven, sixty eight. He retired this past Sunday. Wow. Fifty four years crazy he's like a local legend there yeah he's in nine hall of fames he's got statues <laughs> he's one of these boston guys with a boston thick accent oh, love he it. just yeah. spent he just celebrated his 80th birthday and the only re he quit because he told his wife when i'm 80 i don't want to be coaching third base anymore <laughs> and she's like you're 80 right so he quit oh wow he's a real character a yeah. real fun 54 years he was he coached 2000 baseball games <laughs> it's insane okay? So I had to get him on. Of course. It's right up your alley. And I know you love you're old guys. I, I yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're going to say. Can't wait. Uh, and he said it. Did, uh, <laughs> did he ever think when he first started it that this you're gonna be hit, like a year or two? You're going to hear. Okay. He was playing. He, he he was playing double-A baseball at the time when they came to him. He's like a 25-year-old kid playing. <laughs> In fact, he had just gotten tips from a guy named Ted Williams. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but this... But he knew he wasn't going to make it because the Reds, he was in the Red Sox organization and they drafted or got a guy by the name of Carlton. He was a catcher. This guy was a catcher. Okay. You'll hear him tell the story. I was a catcher and they got a guy named Carlton Fisk. And I'm looking at Fisk God. and I'm looking at me and I'm looking at Fisk <laughs> right. and I'm looking at me and I'm like, <laughs> Time to go. I, I need to do something else. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he coached Division II baseball for 50 freaking four years. Good for him. Unreal. Can't wait to hear. 
right up my alley. It right? is, yes. Oh, God. And then Bob Herrick will join us from Southern Hills PGA. He's the longtime ESPN golf reporter, not anymore, but was with ESPN for a long time, and he was the author of that book. We had him on a couple of shows ago. He wrote Tiger and Phil, the relationship between yes. the two. He's at Southern Hills, and I invited him on to talk about the PGA Championship, talk about Tiger, and talk about the guy who wasn't there to defend Phil Mickelson. So. Anything new with Phil Mickelson we need to know about? <sighs> We're is waiting. It, is it still bad to be Phil? It was good to be Phil for a well, long that time. Book, that book is not doing him any favors. Yeah. We found out on in that book, and I've got a book coming. I'm supposed to have the author on on our next show, but um, we found out in that book, you know, Phil Mickelson is known for a lot of things. He's known for signing autographs for an hour. He's like the nicest guy. He's okay. the people's champion, whatever. He's also known, I don't know if you've ever heard this, he's like an extravagant tipper. No. We know he's a gambler. Yeah. We know he lost 40 or $50 million. He's a big gambler. But you never heard this before. He's an extravagant. Everybody says, "Oh my God, I work in the clubhouse at so and so, and he gave me a hundred dollars." This waitress says he gave me a thousand dollars. This valet, but he gave me fifty-five dollars, fifty dollars. I mean, he apparently has been for years and years uh, okay. going around sharing his money. We also found out that while he was doing that, he was sticking his caddy. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Not paying him bones. <laughs> They broke up. We never knew why. Now we're finding out. He stuck him for nine hundred grand while nine. he was giving while he was giving everybody else money. He was sticking the caddy. It's easy to give money away when it's not really yours, <laughs> right? I mean, you don't pay your bills. You How got, about paying the guy you, know, you owe first? Yeah, that'd be nice. Yes, nine hundred G's. Yeah, I think he's Ooh. now since paid it off. But okay. again, he stuck him for nine hundred grand, which makes you think it's impossible to believe because he's made nine hundred million dollars. Chronicle. Oh my God! It's hard to believe the guy's in, got financial bra. I think he's got financial. Is he out bra. of money? Really? He might be out of money. I mean, people were outraged when MC Hammer blew through a hundred million. <laughs> Nine hundred million? You're telling me he might be? A, he might have blown through? Oh. So there you go. Three guest segments. Two guests in segment one. Bob DeFelice, the eighty-year-old, fifty-four-year <laughs> head baseball coach of Bentley College, and Bob Herrick from the PGA Championship. Before we officially begin episode 192, a couple words from our sponsors like Evergreen Gov Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, a new location in Mill Creek, now open on Main Street, a new location in White Center, now open on 16th Avenue Southwest, Northwest Style Pizza, the best craft beer selection anywhere, and to your door in no time with the app, the Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, Father's Day gifts for all of you from Lindsay and Danny Schwartz. They're here, ladies and gentlemen, offering unfiltered listeners 15% off their super popular drink mixers, on Amazon.com, they've got the Old Fashioned, they've got the Kentucky Mule, the Whiskey Sour, the Lavender Martini. All you got to do, limited time only, is punch in the discount code MITCH1515DB. That's MITCH15DB to get 15% off on Amazon all of the drink mixers from Daniels. Fireside Home Solutions without Fireside's incredible support. Lots of these fun pools and contests for our listeners don't happen. The next one up, the U.S. Open pool in a few weeks at the Country Club in Brookline. Begin your search for fireplaces and garage doors at firesidehomesolutions.com. 
the Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, navigating these rising interest rates with a deft touch. Still some great programs out there for new home buyers and refi candidates. Seven minutes is all you need with the lead man, Jordan Flowers, 425-890-2957. Again, 425-890-2957. This is episode 192, and it begins right now unfiltered when we see the video of richard sherman on that doorstep trying to get through that front door on that terrible night in his Mm -hmm. life many of us including me yell cte have we gone overboard using that as an unnecessary and unfair excuse unfiltered is it over for jared kelnick already in seattle When I think about who he is personally and the way he tinkers a little bit and the and the intensity, he's got this intensity that I don't think plays well in baseball. I have to wonder whether if he's going to pop as a major league baseball player, if it's going to be somewhere other than Seattle. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 192 with Hotshot Scott. Yes. You're is officially underway. You're looking at the uh, proud parents. Yes. Of the Issaquah Little League 2022 Home Run Derby. Rip. Fourth place finisher. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with fourth place? Well, I think she thought she had a chance to win it. She really thought is she Is she was... upset over four? How many people? All right. Tell me. Three. There, tell me there were more than four in <laughs> the competition. There were three. Okay. <laughs> she finished four. That's right. I don't know. I mean, the kid that won it won yeah. it as a sixth grader, too. I've never really heard good. of a softball home run hitting competition. Yeah. This is like something new to me. So how many? So 14, 15? Four, 14 girls. Yeah. They get, how does it work? Nine, you said 90 seconds? 90 seconds to hit as many as you can. So in the past, it's like, I think in the, with the MLB, you get like 10, 10 outs, right? How they do it. Yeah. So this is just 90 seconds. Hit as many as you can. And uh, yeah. And she how got many of those place. 90 seconds did you get? It's a good question. I think she might have finished with. I don't know. No. How many 90-second intervals oh, I see. Did you, you get? get? You get three rounds. And she hit how many of the first 90 seconds? One. That killed her. She hit one in the first round. How about the second 90? Uh, she might have got four. And the third 90? Four, I think. Maybe she finished. So maybe you had nine? Yeah, I think it was about nine. And how far is she hitting these balls? I don't know. They had cones set up. Okay. So You have to fly it over the cone. Yeah, you have to hit it over the... There's like white cones that are set so up. So she and- advanced through the... Through the tournament bracket. She made it to the finals, yes, of the, the top five. What's yes. wrong with that? No, I know, but she, I think she, I mean, look pissed. No, I just think, I think she. You need to listen to segment one more than you. <laughs> <laughs> we can't make jokes about segment no, one. How no, dare you? No, no but I, I think she'll be a little bummed because she was out in front of a lot of them because it's a little slower and she was fouling some off that she probably wants back. But anyway, she it was a pretty good turnout. It was kind of cool. The, the kid, uh, the last kid to go was down 11 and the, she's the last one to go. She's down 11, the defending champ. She ties it up with five seconds left. She hit 11 in 90 seconds? Yeah. She ties it up. She hit 11 in 90 seconds? She was on fire. Yeah. Holy. She's the kid that won it last year and went to T-Mobile. Like and- Robinson Cano's dad pitching to her. Well, <laughs> <it> was- <laughs> she needs one more oh. with five seconds left. Couldn't do it. Hits it out. Does it. Hits it over to win it by one. Oh, I thought you said that the defending champ. Okay, the defending champ won it again by hitting twelve. Yes, in ninety seconds. Yeah, good. For pretty, pretty damn impressive. Yeah, that's nice. So it was a it was a fun time. Well, congratulations. Thank you so you should, much for the fourth be proud place. Of her. I am very proud of her. You know these home run derbies they they ruin your swing. 
she's gonna she's gonna go like oh for her ne- next like thir- thirteen now had, regular game. Had she won the home run derby, I would have been worried. But it was a lot of line drives and hard shot, hard, hard grounders. Good. So I think her I think Good. her swing is intact. Is she gonna be like one of these people like next year's like ah no I'm not doing it. Well she's it's I, I've I've done that like the slam dunk I'm I'm out. She's done with little league after this. Okay. Yeah, I mean okay. she could there is a yeah. you could play well, but good congratulations. She's done. Thank you so much. Yeah, now we're on to All-Stars. What what else? Do you have anything else to report before I get into the uh get into the Seattle Mariners which I I, I like Are we getting on. into that? She's just not good. Well, I had an interesting dinner if you want to talk about yes. that last night. Yes. With three right. people you know. Yeah. But you I, want to bring up on the on the podcast? Well, I don't know why not. I mean, was the podcast discussed? Yes. Oh boy. Yeah. But I was there, so I mean, I don't like Danny. I like Slickhawk. <laughs> yeah. I do like Slickhawk. I don't like Slickhawk. Go ahead. Who was there? It was less that more Mitch. Who's that? And why uh, wasn't I invited? Go less ahead. less Danny and Slickhawk more Mitch. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> I get a text from little Jimmy, your former producer, Wink, Wink Shapiro. Yes. Wink Shapiro. Yeah. Sends me a text. Hey, uh, Fish is in town. Fish. Do you want to have dinner with? Fish, myself, and Warren Moon at the club. Oh, my God. That's Wait what I said. I was like, what? How did Harold Warren Moon get in there? <laughs> I don't know. Jesus. Who knew Jimmy and Warren I'm Moon would hang out? I'm a little uncomfortable with the whole thing. Yeah, I was like, sure. Okay. It's, at the club? Yeah, the Suquamie Ridge. Uh, Fancy schmancy club? Whatever the golf course is at the Suquamie oh, Ridge. Oh, really? I don't know what it's called. I live by the it. The TPC. The TPC, yeah. yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. So we, because Jimmy's a member, of course. Oh, he is. He's a golf. I didn't know he's a golfer. Well, he's not a golfer. He just likes to show up and <laughs> act like he's king of the whole. Hey, okay. everybody, I'm here. He Woo! winks at everybody. I'll t- Rachel, how are you? I'll take the, I'll take the usual. You know, he loves that routine, you know, <laughs> loves hosting people, you know, oh. giving toasts and everything. So I hung out with Fish, Wink, and Warren Moon for a night. Which really? Was- like, is Warren, how does, is Warren Moon and, well, after now having spent the evening, you must know the connection. What's I, I, the connection? I think Fish and Warren Moon have oh. a, a friendship. Yeah. Because Warren said, next time I'm in Arizona, I'll look you up. And so I, I think they have a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jimmy and Warren might have worked together. And so Jimmy's probably harassing him. And, you know, wanting to, no, I, so I think they wow, both. It's kind of an odd trio. Yeah, it was, it was odd, but yeah. it was Uncomfortably fun. odd. Yeah, but I had, it's cool sitting, I mean, Warren Moon, I, I'd met him a few times, but uh, he listens. I like to, Warren Moon. I think he listens to the podcast. I, I like Warren Moon. Yeah. No, I do too. It was a, it was a Warren fun Warren Moon and I have had an interesting relationship over the years. Oh, you have? Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I've always thought of him, not friend is not the right word, but it's somebody that I enjoy and that enjoyed me. And then we had a little issue when he held out. Oh, really? Remember he held out as a Seahawk? Remember he didn't come to camp, he wanted more money? You don't recall that? What year was that? Don't ask me years. Okay. But yeah, and he he didn't like some of the things that I said. Oh, so he was listening? Yeah. He was, on KJ, We didn't do the podcast back then. It was KJR. What, he listened to your show on KJR? I didn't, uh, these, some, maybe somebody told him. They love, not, they love to announce that they never listen to sports radio. I'm not suggesting that he listened. <laughs> okay. Harold, if you're listening right now, I didn't say you listen. <laughs> yeah. All I'm saying, Harold, if you're listening right now, is that he got mad at me. Oh, he did. And if he says he didn't get mad at me, he's not... He's not being honest. Okay. He got mad at me. And I don't even recall what I said. Maybe I didn't like his position that he took. Maybe, mm. I, and maybe, and it strained our relationship for a while. And maybe, you know, I hope he's over it now. I mean, it's a long time ago since he played quarterback uh, yeah. for Seattle. Yeah, it's been a while, yes. I, th- I think he said he signed a, his big contract one year was five years, 5.5 million. And that was like enormous yeah. money. Imagine, yeah. 5.5 over five years. So everybody's doing okay? Yeah. Fish is doing good? They Fish, add, they, 
you send my best. I mean, I yeah. you can't send my best because I didn't know that you were going. Otherwise, I would have sent my best. Well, Fish was in town. It was it was kind of one of those sad trips where there was some uh, you know Funeral? some people in his life. Yeah, but it was like multiple that oh. some are sick and some had passed. Oh. And yeah, so he kind of had to make the trip up. It was oh. kind of a last minute thing to see people and. But it was cool. I got to hang out with him, had dinner. I a, love the fish. Yeah, he's a great guy. Do you we, remember when I gave him the nickname? Oh, do I remember? Yeah, I was <laughs> running the board for you. And I had to run the board for the fishing show. <laughs> so, of course, I remember, yes, the nickname. He walked in after I called him fish for the first time. And he said to me, and I think the quote is, I was sitting during a break next to the microphone, and he said to me, look, I'm going to say this one time. <laughs> if you call me fish ever again. Yeah. I'm going to punch you in the nose. Yeah. Dead serious. Like, not like, joking at all. No. Yeah. He's been calling himself Fish ever since. He's got casino chips <laughs> with fish on it. <laughs> he leaned into it. <laughs> he literally threatened to punch me in the nose. Yeah. Because. Because he couldn't miss. No. Oh, that's not why. You uh, haven't seen that I got a nose job? You did. Okay. I got rhinoplasty. <laughs> you did. You better get your money back. You better go back. Because the caller called in and said, who the hell was substituting for you, Mitch? I know. It, it sounded like a fishing show. It sure did. Oh. It was It was as exciting as a fishing show. It was and I called him fish. You did call him fish, yeah. And he's been calling him. So how many years ago is that? 96? So 26 years ago? <laughs> and it, by the way... <laughs> He just He's got logos. <laughs> he sent out a picture. <clears throat> Sorry, he sent out a video. He sent out a video of a commercial that oh, ran. God. He used to do a show on KRKO Open Everett. Of course he did. He sent out. He a, was the king of Everett. Somehow they had a budget for a TV commercial for his show. It's him at the Pike Place Market in front of the fish, and they're pretending to throw him. You know, like they do the fish. And he completely leaned into the whole fish thing. The thing he was going to punch you for. Let's go back to Harold Warren Moon for a second because I'm still putting off the Mariners. By the way, um, he looks great. Six, oh, yeah. Uh, got to be in his 60s. 65. Yeah. He's got a waist that's like 28 yeah. oh, inches yeah. and yeah. big arms. Yeah. It's like he's ready to play. Look at his fingernail. He's huge. You I know the, look at... the story of his fingernail? What's that? He had a, he, his pointer finger on his right hand. Yeah. Very important fingernail. Harold, Harold Warren. Harold's his real name. Okay. He used to have a filer in his when he played football. He wanted the nail to be a certain... See, if you would have told me you were having dinner with these guys, yeah. I would have given you a couple of funny things to drop in. Yeah. Not so much about Wink. Um, <laughs> you could have come. I'll invite you next he time. He wanted his nail a certain on his pointer finger because it was the last thing to touch the ball. I think it's what spiraled because oh, remember yeah. he threw an unbelievable spiral. Tightest spiral. It was all ever, about yeah. the fingernail. Who knew? Oh, I'm not supposed to sniff as much anymore. We also got a couple of those. Oh, really? I'm stopping my sniffing. Forever. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> so, how, what what made you think that Harold Warren Moon listens to Mitch Unfiltered? Well, him and Fish were talking about the podcast, and, yeah. and, and I think he, you came up somehow. Hey, yeah. how's Mitch? And 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 Fish said, "Do you listen to the podcast?" And he said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, Scott's on the podcast. I don't know if he did the math on who I was or yeah. anything." So, yeah. So yeah, I think he oh, listens. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he listens. Is or, he a patient? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if he's a patient. I, I don't want to push the issue. Hot shot. <laughs> yeah. Here's what Harold Warren Moon doesn't know. Okay. The Mariners are now 17 and effing 25. They got swept yeah. by the Boston Red Sox. Now, I know you have a song for when they win. You sing a song? Oh, <laughs> don't do this. Is there, do you have a song for walk-off Grand Slam losses? Oh, my God. <laughs> or no? I'm just curious. <laughs> Holy shit. By the way, it's like I swear to you, the first time this season, Piper sat down with me and wanted to watch the Mariners. And This year. 
Like yes. today. Yeah, today. Like before today, the home right? run derby. Before home run derby. Well, they, it must have inspired her. The guy had a grand slam home run. They they tied it up 3-3, the Mariners. They it's sure a, did. They had a, that, that good, close play at home that was under <sighs> review. Like, we were all into the game. And then that. I was like, she'll never watch a game with me again. That's it. I jokingly, every time, this is like an old running gag because okay. most of my gags are old running gags because I don't have any new ones. Yeah, I didn't want to say it, but yeah, go ahead. I'll say it. So for years and years and years, I have been on the radio and now on the podcast. I joke around with with Slick, the guy that everybody hates or everybody likes. And when they like fall a game or two under 500, yeah. I, he hates it. I ask the question, will they ever be over 500 the rest of the year? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, people laugh at that and they say, of course, they will be. And then most of the time, they never get over 500 the rest of the year. So sad. What is their record right now? Do you have it in 17 front of you? and 25. I just said it, 17 and 25. God. Now I'm asking, I was asking it at 17 and like 19 right. seven, or right. whatever it was, 17, 16. I, they're never going to be 500 again. Tell me how. Like, how are they, how is this going to, like, yeah. Well, well, here, people might say, Mitch, don't be so down on them. They're only eight games under 500. There's so many games to go. Let's put it this way, hotshot. Okay. Let's do a little hotshot math. I'm ready. Think of it this way. Most people say, and I may be off by a game or two, but let's just use round numbers. What does it take to make the playoffs, do you think? What record? 162 games. Yeah. What record typically do people say it takes to... And there's an extra playoff team. Now I get it all. Please don't write, unless you're going to criticize Scott. Um, what, what, are the people, what do you think people typically say? 85 wins? 90, 88, okay. right. 90. Yeah. 85 is probably low. It is, okay. 88 is probably right. Let's just use 90, 90 and 72. Let's say teams that go 90 and 72 with the extra playoff team are going to make the playoffs. Okay. okay, 90. You don't, this is just math. This is not like opinion what I'm about to give you. I yeah. can give you opinion all you want. Do you know what it's going to take for the Mariners to go 90 and 70? I know they've only played, people are going to be like 17 to 25. They've only played 42 yeah. games. They've got another 120 games to play. Yeah. Mitch, why are you writing them up? Let's just do a little math. Of those 120 left. What do they got to do to go? Yeah. What do they got to do to go 90 and 72? I don't want to hear. 73 and 47. They've got to play 26 games over 500. <laughs> a team that's now eight games under through 42 has yeah. to be 26 over from here until the end to get to 90 and 72. They have to play 6-10 winning baseball. How many American League teams currently right now are playing 6-10 oh, baseball? The answer would be dose. Wow. Houston and New York. And they have to do that the they're, remainder of the year. They're, they're done. Yeah. They're done. And they're not even that good. And we all thought <sighs> that they were going to be good. So ask me, Hotshot. Ask me. What, what's wrong with them? Why? And, and, and I don't mean what's wrong with them 2022. Ask me, like, why? Why can't they got, not get out of their way? Why can't they finally make the play? What's, what's gone wrong in the organization? Ask me. What's gone wrong? Why can't they make the playoffs <laughs> overall? Not 2022, just overall. No idea. God. <laughs> yes, Great. Thanks for the analysis. Well, there's a lot. Of, we can get a lot of people on the show that are a lot brighter when it comes to baseball than me. Okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a baseball fan. I watch a lot of baseball. In fact, baseball was my first love. A lot of people say, oh, Mitch, you only know golf and college basketball. You don't watch anything else. Yeah. I watched baseball before I watched anything else. Okay. I love baseball. And I'm not going to give you some nuanced answer, but I will give you just kind of a, a big picture snapshot. How do you build a major? There's, 
there's two groups of players that build a major league team, right? Yeah. Am I right about that? Two groups of players, yeah. Two, two genres of players. Every team uses two ways to build a team. Okay. Those two ways are, you know, prospects, young people that you either draft or that you bring into the organization that are minor leaguers that you then cultivate and bring them up. You evaluate them to bring them in, mm -hmm. whether you draft them or you bring them in, and then you, sc you scout them, you evaluate them, you pick them, you choose them, you cultivate them, and then you bring them up and hope that a percentage of those guys hit, Yeah, right? Julio is a prime example. And what the percentage of those guys that hit right. in Major League Baseball is small. Right. But you need to hit on a percentage of those guys. Yep. And then the other way, the other type of personnel that you bring in to build a team are guys with major league experience that you either bring in through free agency or trade. Gotcha. And those guys, you evaluate, you scout, you decide, can they play here? Can they play in this city? Can they play in the American League? Do they fit on our club? Should we go get them? How much should we pay to get them? And yeah. you bring them in. Unless I'm mistaken, that's how you those two groups of players. Am I right or wrong? That's it. That's yeah. that's right. And the and the truth of the matter is, they're not good enough in evaluating and, and picking the right guys. You can you can you can go both and you can do both categories. Everybody says, oh, the Mariners have now one of the top, maybe the top organization. They've got they're rich with prospects. Yeah. But are they hitting enough? Are they is their success rate on these guys? Yes, Julio's gonna be great. I think. I think Logan Gilbert, the guy who started today, yeah. gonna be gonna be really good. Yeah. If not great, really good. He's gonna be really good. Not quite yet. He's had some some sparks, but he's not there yet. But he's gonna be a piece, yeah. right? I'm hopeful that this guy George Kirby. I think it's real early on him. I think he might be. But there's all these guys: Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, right? Kyle Lewis. Now that's not their fault, but it's still he's injuries. He, 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 the guy in microcosm that's been the Mariners' situation for the last several years is this guy, Evan White. Do you know the name Evan White? Mm -mm. Evan White. They drafted him in the first round out of Kentucky. Okay. He was a college player. They evaluated him. They loved him. They drafted him. Slick fielding first baseman who hit from the left side with power okay. and great and, and great gap to gap. A lot of doubles. You pepper the alleys, right? They love this guy. Sounds good. They drafted him. They poured their resources in them, into him. He 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 succeeded in the minor leagues. They loved him so much, Hotshot, that before he did one thing in the majors, they said, "You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give this guy a big contract." Oh, because we're gonna control his rights longer that way. So he took a twenty-four million dollar contract. He hadn't done one thing in Major League Baseball. Right. And guess what? He hasn't done one thing since. <laughs> Where is he? He's he's rehabbing. He hit 165 in his first 300 at bats in major leagues. Oh. Now he's in the minor leagues. He got hurt. He's playing in minor league. He's not even part of their future. When you talk about the future of the Seattle Mariners, the guy they gave 24 million dollars to me, Evan White, in microcosm, yeah, is what's been going on for years and years. And yeah, they have a couple of guys who click and hit but not enough of a success rate. And then you graduate to the other genre of player, which is the major leaguers from other teams that you either sign through free agency or you trade for. Now, the success rate of that should be higher or lower than the prospect success rate. should be rate. higher. They're already proven, of right? Course, yeah. you, you've, you've now looked at them. You've seen them in major league uniforms and right. other ballparks, and you have to decide, 
How do I get that guy? Does that guy fit over here? Will he hit American League pitching? Will he do okay at T-Mobile in this climate? I mean, you have to do... you. Jerry Depoto's got... Get, his department gets millions and millions of dollars to, to go get these guys, to identify and bring these guys in. And look, I, when they... When they went out and got Robbie Ray, yeah. I, I don't want to pretend that I'm somebody that I'm not. I loved it. Of course. I loved the it. The Cy Young winner. Okay. He was the Cy Young Award winner. <laughs> yeah, how could you they not paid love him it? $25 million. I loved it. But I I don't matter. I, I don't get paid millions of dollars to figure out whether Robbie Ray is the right guy to bring in. Right. Yes. Did I love it? Yes. So I don't want to pretend like, oh, I didn't like Robbie Ray the day. You know, there's enough of those guys on yeah. the radio and TV that you don't need me to add to that list. I love the fact that they got Robbie Ray. Of course, Ray. it was great. When they went out and got this guy, Jesse Winker, I didn't know much about him. Yeah. I knew him from the National League. He was an all-star last year. But I was like, hey, they went out and got an all-star outfielder in his prime. Did I love it? Yeah, I loved it. But I'm not getting paid millions right. of dollars to decide whether these are the right guys to bring yeah. in. And... Those are the two most important guys that they brought in. Now, when they brought in Hanniger a few years ago, that's worked out. Yep. They brought in J.P. Crawford. That I don't want to pretend like they haven't done well. But is their success rate high enough in these two areas? Ty France, some, some pitchers in their bullpen especially have done well. But their two biggest acquisitions this year were Robbie Ray at $25 million a year yeah. and Jesse Winker, a National League All-Star. They brought other uh. guys in. Adam Adam Frazier and the other guys, pitchers, what have you. But these were the two kind of marquee acquisitions that fit the genre of being on major. Going into today's game, after today's game, Jesse Winker's at 217. Right. The all-star from Cincinnati. Now, he hit 300 and was an all-star. Was that because it was National League? Was that because he was in a ballpark that was very friendly to left-handers? Was that an aberration of a year? Should Jerry have no... And look, I... I hope he hits 400 the rest of the year and prove me wrong. I don't know. Yeah. He, he may end up hitting 285 and hit 50 home runs. There's a long ways to go. But at the time that you and I are talking, the guy is hitting 217 and he's a 300 all-star, right? He comes over, he's hitting 217. Robbie Ray. Loved that he got here. Robbie Ray. He's got a 4.77 earn run average in his first nine starts here. He's the reigning Cy Young Award winner. He's supposed to be the ace. Right. That department, Jerry, is supposed to identify who is it that's going to come in here and be great. He he decided that Robbie Ray was going to be great. And then you look at Robbie Ray and you ask, okay, yeah, Mitch, you were really excited to bring him in. How many years did he truly have that were $25 million a year years that made you think he was going to be great in Seattle? So I, I look at it and I see that last year he won the Cy Young. That was a $25 million a year. No doubt. Season 13 and 7 with a 2.84. But in 2020, hot shot, he pitched with both Toronto and Arizona. He was one and four with a 7.84 with Arizona, and he was one and one with a 4.79 in Toronto in 2020. Is that 25 million? In 2019 in Arizona, 12 and 8 with a 4.34 ERA. Is that 25? It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's like number three starter good. Yeah, it's not 25 million good. In 18, he was 6-2 and two with a 3-9-3. In 17, okay, in 2017, he was 15-5 and five with a 2.89 ERA. That's $25 million good. The year before that, he was 8-15 and 15 with a 5 ERA. Right. You know, you start to look at it and you're like, okay, 
Yeah, I was excited that Robbie Ray came in because he's the reigning Cy Young, and I just wanted them to spend money and bring guys in. But he's looked like, I mean, he, he looks good. He looks okay. Yeah. He's had okay starts. Does he look like like this guy that comes in every fifth day and shuts him down and rolls him? Nope. And we know we're going to win that one game, and then we'll try to take two or three of the next four? Is he that guy? No. Not yet. Again, we're talking on May, whatever it is, 23rd. He may end up being the Cy Young Award winner again. He may go the next 15 and 0 for all I I hope I'm I hope that that's the case. Same. But you ask me, I just don't think as an organization they hit on enough young guys and they hit a high enough percentage on the guys from other major league teams that are supposed that you're supposed to know are going to be quality players when they get here. That's the issue. And that and that's really a simplistic way of looking at it. Some other people would dig. I'm just giving you like the the view from yeah. 20,000. Can you go back and and remember when people were saying this is going to be a great year for the Mariners, they're going to be in yes, it? Yes, yes. Can you come up with reasons why people yes, said that? Yes. Okay, I'm just curious what what isn't happening? Other well, than Robbie Ray, I well, guess. Well, you could start be better, you but. start with the biggest fool's gold of all time, which is what happened last year. Yeah. They finished one game out of the playoffs last year. They played on that Sunday, the last game of the season, yeah. with a chance to go to the playoffs. They had to win and a couple guys had to lose. They literally finished one game out of the playoffs. Yeah. So you start with that, and then you bring everybody back that you care about, except for maybe Seeger. And then you go out and you you you, you bring in the the Cy Young Award winner. Yeah. And you bring in an all-star from Cincinnati. And you bring in a professional hitter in Frazier. Yeah. And so that basically you're saying we're taking a team that was one game away and we're adding like three or four or five. And Julio's coming. Right. And Koenig's going to be oh, a lot Koenig better. Too, yeah. And everybody's going to get better that are young. Logan Gilbert's going to be better than he was last year, sure. which he has been. That's that's been the that's that was the that was the reason <sighs> why we all and I think I think a lot of us said it at the time. A lot of that is true. The one piece that I didn't believe in was the first piece, which was that they were one game. Remember, no one wants me to bring uh, it up. I know what you're going to say, yeah. They were outscored by yeah. a bunch last year. It Run was a differential. It was a little fluky. Yeah. Which is why you called it fool's gold. That's why I just called it. I mean, yeah. I, it feels like fool's gold now. Right. feels like fool's gold. I, I don't know. They, they, They're they just weren't... not good enough. They're not good enough. Every year we say the same thing. But on paper, they should be. On paper, yeah. On paper, yeah, because on paper, Robbie we Robbie Ray was thirteen and seven with a two point eight four last year. Yeah. And on paper, Jesse Winker was a three hundred hitter with twenty home runs last year and an all star. On paper. Right. But you but Jerry Depoto's staff has got to be able to know who if they acquire is gonna be able to I'm not asking for Winker to be an all star, but two sixteen? Yeah, that's not good. I'm enough. not asking <laughs> I'm not asking Robbie Ray to to win the Cy Young. Yeah. But but four and four with a four point seven seven ERA through nine starts? Yeah. Can I get a little closer to the other to the twenty five million? Can, can I get something for my twenty five million? Can we get half that back? Or no? He's four and four. He should be given half of that back at Jeez. this point. Yeah. Do they have Hanniger's hurt, right? Isn't Hanniger Hanniger's hurt? hurt. That that is that'll really, help a little that bit. That is really hurt. Yeah, but it'll be too late. Be too late. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're eight games under now. He's not coming back for another month or two. Yeah. By the time he comes back, they're done. Killer. They could be done. And and my joke to to Slickhawk is, I think the answer I think is no. They're not going to be over five. They're, they're done. We we got so excited for this year yep. and 
and it's only May, and we're right, and a lot of us are just writing them off. Wait till next year. God. Like, like, the, like the great Cubs fans said on opening day, wait till next year already. We can't even get to the all-star break no. with some hope. No. All right, enough about that. Ugh. Three interview segments. The first one is not like warm and cuddly. It's a toughie. The first segment, the first interview segment, two guests is a toughie, but important. Important, yeah. And I would love for people, especially if you're parents of teens and college kids and maybe even athletes that play high school sports or what have you, I'd love for you to listen to this. And then uh, two other guest segments, then we'll do other stuff. I'm ready. Hey, let's stop for a minute and welcome back to the show, Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of my favorite steakhouse, Daniel's Broiler. I- I'm upset, Lindsay. I'm still upset. What's going on? I hope it's not something I did. Well, it's what you said, that Mother's Day weekend is such a huge one for you guys, but Father's Day coming up, June 19th, by the way, doesn't stack up, and I want to know why. Why can't dads like me get a USDA steak at Daniel's Broiler just like moms do on their day? I don't get it. Well, you can get one. It's just that you have to get the family to agree to go there with you. And I'm not sure why that is. And, and you know something? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask my wife and kids when I get home, what's up with that? Shouldn't the family want to do what dad wants to do on Sunday? I mean, should it be difficult if we say, I want to go to Daniel's Broiler on Sunday, that the whole crew would get in the car and go with you to Daniel's Broiler? I mean, it's one day a year. Come on, right? <laughs> Last year, I'll have you know that Lindsay Schwartz and brother Danny decided to make available to the public the Daniel's Broiler cocktail mixers, and it was a huge success. It started with the old-fashioned and branched off to others, and I'm not a huge drinker, and I don't understand the story behind this. What makes your mixers different than, let's say, another restaurant or another bar, and what would make them successful online? I don't get that. You know, it's all about quality ingredients, just like with all the food, all the steaks, everything we do in the restaurants, we look for the best available ingredients. And we do the same thing with our cocktails and and all the ingredients that we use. We use organic ingredients whenever we can, GMO-free, it's all natural. And that's what makes them great. We've been doing it for a long time, since 1980, when the first Daniels opened. So you're selling them at QFC, Amazon.com, and you have a new vendor, right? Yeah, uh, they're doing a test at Total Wine and Spirits at three stores at the uh, the locations in Northgate, Inner Bay, and Bellevue. So hopefully listeners will go check it out. Nice. But you're prepared like you did last year around Father's Day to offer Mitch Unfiltered listeners a discount. But you got to do it at Amazon.com. What are you willing to offer this time around? Lindsay. You know what? Let's go 15% off. So okay. if you use the code MITCH15DB, type that in on Amazon, you'll get 15% off. Okay. So MITCH15DB, as in Daniel's Broiler at Amazon, 15% off of what price? What's the normal price? 19 bucks. So 19 bucks minus 15%. And 15%, Syracuse Math tells me 190 plus 95. So 285 off. At Amazon.com for the world-famous, the now world-famous Daniel's Broiler Mixers and Daniel's Broiler for Father's Day. We love that idea. A world-class steakhouse. It's trivia time. The director of financial planning at Evergreen Golf Call, 
rejoins us on Mitch Unfiltered, Katie Versio. Katie, how are you? How's everything at Evergreen Golf Call? I know it's been tough in the markets the last few months. Hey, Mitch, uh, it has been a very volatile last few months, but we're all doing well. Do we have a theme of questioning today? Yes. Today's theme is focused on interest rates. There's right. been some changes this year, and it's really been impacting markets. So I'm curious to how much you've been paying attention. I haven't been, but I'll do my very best. Well, I kind of have been. Question number one, Katie. So in March, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for the first time since December 2018. How much did they increase rates by? Was it 0.25% or 0.5%? I'll say 0.25%. All right, you got it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes, so they increased by just 0.25%, and it's really impacted markets. Both stocks and bonds are down in this environment, with bonds down about 9% and stocks down anywhere from 13 to 20%. It's really increased volatility. Okay, I guess I'm off to a good start. Uh, surprisingly to all of us. Uh, question number two, Katie. So the change in interest rates has impacted areas of the market differently. In April of 2021, a year ago, yeah. the 30-year fixed mortgage rate was on average about 3.2%. What is that mortgage rate today if you're gonna go out and get a new mortgage? Is it 4.2%, 5%, or 5.2%? I'll say 5%, I'll go right in the middle, Katie. It's actually 5.2%. Oh. So it's an increase on average of two percentage points. So that's a huge increase over that time period. Yeah, it's costing us a lot more each month on our mortgage. All right, question number three. Maybe I can go two for three. Go ahead. Okay, so in April of 2021, a six-month CD would earn you 0.17% in interest. So not very much. What is that rate today? Is it 0.2%, 0.5%, or 1% on a six-month CD? I'll say 0.5%, right in the middle again. Actually, 0.2%. Oh. So it's been interesting where, well, mortgage rates have spiked and some other interest rates have, have gone up. At the shorter end of the curve, interest rates have not increased much at all. So for savers, for those that are looking to save into a savings account or a money market, it really hasn't increased much at all. Which means it's been a bad few months all the way around for all of us savers out there. Right, Katie? That's right. Uh. All right. Well, next time we'll have a better update, hopefully, from Evergreen Golf Call. We love Katie Versio. We congratulate her on her new title over there at Evergreen Golf Call because Evergreen is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Being tough is doing things that are, are difficult to do and and being tough about mental illness and talking about suicide and uh, bringing that to the forefront and trying to destigmatize the the conversation is really a key component, and that's that's what we're doing here at Holinsky's Hope for sure. As May winds down, so does Mental Health Awareness Month, and to say it's been a real heartbreaking eight weeks or so in the world of collegiate sports is an understatement of a lifetime. Katie Meyer. Stanford soccer player Lauren Burnett, James Madison softball player, Sarah Schultz, University of Wisconsin track and field, Arlana Miller, Southern University cheer squad, all lost to suicide amidst inner darkness and moments of hopelessness. Victoria Emma is a 22-year-old professional tennis player out of the University of Florida 
who recently opened up in the most courageous way and is already helping so many others. Hi, Victoria. First of all, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Uh, It's great to have you. What prompted you to share your story on Instagram and I'm understanding the Madison Holleran website? Yeah. So, um, I came across the Madison Holleran story when I was about 15 and that's kind of when things were really bad for me. And, um, that story just really hit so close to home for me. And I, I didn't know her, but her story was so similar to mine. And it was honestly, it was the first athlete that I had heard about like star athlete that had committed suicide. So I kind of just came across that story. And then five years later, I came across the book that they wrote about her. And as soon as I read the book, I was like, I have to reach out to the sister Carly, who actually runs the foundation. So I ended up spending weeks putting together this letter that I was going to send to Carly. And I sent her the letter that I wrote her. And then she emailed me back pretty quickly and was just like thanking me for sending it to her. And then she asked me if I'd be willing to let her post my story on the website. And she was like, it can be anonymous if you want. And honestly, I was very shocked. I had, I had no intention of it being posted or anything when I originally sent it. And then I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, you know what? The only way that I can help someone, the way that Madison's story helped me, the way that Carly helped me was if I let her put this on the website and not be anonymous. And then I had a bunch of athletes reach out to me. Um, I had people that used to play on Florida's team that reached out to me, other girls from different schools that reached out to me. And I post that on my Instagram and then even more people reached out to me. Girls I played junior tennis with that I didn't even know were struggling with mental health at all. And obviously everything that's been going on right now, it, it hits really close to home. It's very personal to me. I obviously don't understand all of their struggles because I didn't know them personally, but I know a lot of them and I understand what they were feeling. And, you know, it breaks my heart to see so many amazing athletes like lives end too soon. Victoria. So there's two parts of the reaction to doing this. There's Mm -hmm. the obvious helping others that must make you feel so good that you've been able to help so many others already. And to hear from all these other former competitors and tennis players that they were struggling to, there's that part of it. What about just the part of it of saying, here it is, getting your story out there, the hit the submit button and letting it go. What does that feel like to just kind of stand from a mountaintop and say, I struggled, I nearly ended my life, but here it is. What does that feel like to you? A little stressful, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I never really thought that when I wrote the letter to Carly, that it would kind of turn into something like this. And I, I didn't expect that I would, that I would be talking about it as much considering that I never spoke about any of this, not even to my parents to like, nobody knew to now talking about it so openly. It definitely is very stressful, but honestly it, it helps like the more you, as hard as it is to open up and talk about those kinds of things, it's helped me so much. I mean, just having a voice and Carly giving me a voice three years ago has like saved my life. So as overwhelming as it can be, like I'm honestly very grateful for it. So go back to when you're 15, if you're willing to do that with us Mm -hmm. and describe, if not too painful, how you felt and how tennis, the detachment of homeschooling, et cetera, 
took their tolls. This was pre-college tennis, right? Yes. I went to a tennis academy. Um, I went to school at the tennis academy for probably my, I think it was my sophomore, my junior year. But in eighth grade, I, my old coach had said that I needed to homeschool. Otherwise he was going to leave. So my dad ended up pulling me out of school, but I had to go to eighth grade with all my friends for two weeks because I went, it was a private school in order to get the money back. So I had to be there. And then I had all these friends there. And as soon as I left, I lost so many friends. And then I was competing. I went from playing all like the USTA stuff to playing at the international level. And I was traveling all the time. And, you know, I had, I had a lot of friends that were tennis players, but just being on the road, being homeschooled and not really having a lot of people to talk to, just kind of being by myself all the time. And, you know, my whole identity became tennis. I mean, people I went to school with for years and years that I could have normal conversations with when I would see them, they would just talk to me about tennis. It became my whole identity. And then when tennis wasn't going well, it kind of just made me feel so small. Like I just didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was happy. I mean, I was extremely unhappy with my life. I, I had no idea what my future was going to look like. And I think that that was the biggest thing is I really had no idea how to get from one day to the next. And, you know, at 15 years old, you have these overwhelming feelings. And then how do I find a reason to live when everything that I am living for is not going well? I struggled for a lot of years. I mean, it didn't, it didn't come out to my parents for a little bit. I mean, the first time I ever attempted, I was at a tournament in a hotel bathroom trying to slice my wrists. And the only way that my parents found out about that is because I got a tattoo to cover up the scar. But at the time, nobody knew. And then I was home and I struggled so much my junior year of high school. I was so overwhelmed with picking a college to go to. And that was one thing that really stuck out to my parents was I was so miserable going to tour schools. I had an unbelievable opportunity. I could go to any school that I wanted for tennis. I was very grateful for that, but I was so overwhelmed and I was so miserable during the entire recruiting process. Mm. Then when I finally did pick a school, I just felt so much pressure. Like I, I really needed to keep performing. And I mean, even before school, I just, I, there was so much pressure to do well, especially coming from a small place like Naples and I just had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to do well, but I was constantly failing mentally. I was just done. I was honestly, I was so burned out from tennis because I just, I was so burned out from life really, but tennis mainly. And that's when I ended up writing the letters and my parent or my mom actually found them on accident. Mm. So she was looking through my room. I, she thought that I was like hiding money or something because I used to do that when I was little. <laughs> and so she goes through my room one day and I'm at practice during all this. So she goes to my room and then she finds the letters. And then I was at practice and her and my dad showed up and I'm like, why are they both here? This is really weird. They, it's the middle of the day. Like, why are they both at practice? And then we went home. We, we're just sitting at the counter and I could tell something was wrong. And then they just like told me that they found them and they were obviously very, very upset. They got me into therapy. I think like the next day or two days later, and I didn't even talk for the first couple of therapy sessions, but, um, if she hadn't found them so quickly, I probably would not be here right now. How are you doing now? You doing okay? Yeah. I mean, I still, I mean, it's something I have to deal with all the time. I mean, I, I actually just went through a little bit of a, little bit of a rough patch, just trying to come back again, like with the pressures of now turning pro and then dealing with my injury, it put me into a little bit of a dark place, but I, I know how to get myself out of it. And 
I'm not, I don't bury my feelings. If I'm not, if I'm not feeling well, or if, if I wake up and I feel like I want the day to be over already, like I go right back to therapy. I, I can openly talk to my parents about it. Like I'm not okay right now. I had another scare at school and I ended up actually having to leave school my junior year for like two months because I basically, I wasn't safe to be by myself there. And my college coach was who I'm very, very grateful for. He, um, he let me go home for two months and just be with my family, go back to therapy and kind of just get myself healthy again. So, I mean, it's, it's something I have to deal with all the time and not everybody gets it. And I'm honestly, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. So for those that don't get it and don't understand the feelings, I envy you a little bit because it's definitely, it's not an easy thing to go through, but having people and having a voice, especially like, I mean, you can have people all around you and still feel so alone because I had that. My family's always been supportive of me, but I always felt alone and I always felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. So when I, when I had a voice, it was when I really was able to heal. When you get to that moment of hopelessness and I don't want to continue, when you throw your hands up, speak to a young person who might be listening to this podcast right now. If they ever get to that point, 99.99% of the people listening don't know what it's like. You do. You know what it's like to get to that one moment where you're ready to jump off the cliff. What would you say to somebody if they ever get to that moment that might save them? I would say, honestly, this might sound bad to some people, but sometimes when you don't want to live for yourself, you got to think about who else it is that you're living for. Even though it's impossible right now and you really feel like you can't keep going, think about those around you that love you, whether it's your parents, you have a significant other, siblings, best friends, think about how they're going to feel because now I, I wrote letters to my best friends since the first day of kindergarten, my parents, my sister, my coach at the time, my trainer for 12 years. And, you know, now I look back and I think about what it would be like for them to read those letters mm. after I was gone. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you just have to not think about yourself because there's plenty of times, even now where I'm like, I'm so unhappy with myself or my life, but I could never leave my parents. I couldn't do it. I couldn't leave my sister. I couldn't leave my best friends. There's just, sometimes you just have to live for other people and just kind of keep pushing and trust that it's going to get better. Honestly, you need to speak up about it. I know that it's, especially as an athlete, like I always felt embarrassed to talk about it and like, you know, you can't show any weakness. And when I'm on the tennis court, I can't show any weakness to my opponent. Otherwise I'm going to lose. So that kind of carries over into life. And, you know, my dad was a elite athlete and, uh, he played in the NHL for 11 years and he's, I mean, such a tough sport. He's very tough. He's very, but he's a very positive person. And I haven't always been like that. So for me growing up with him and you have to kind of put all that aside and you just got to keep pushing through. And honestly, if, if someone's feeling like they don't want to continue to tomorrow, just focus on right now, sit down right now and just say, what is it that makes you happy? What is it that's, even if it's the smallest thing, just going to sit outside. I mean, there were so many times I think about all the time, like, I don't even know what makes me happy anymore. I used to horseback ride a little bit, or even just sitting in, sitting in my room with my dogs. Like if I'm alone, I get it. But my dogs, like 
being with them, that makes me happy. There's just so many people that are around me. Even if you feel like you don't have anybody, there's people around you that want you to stay alive, that want you to stay. Think about them. You're talking to a lot of parents that are freaking out right now. There's no question. I'm one of them. I have a, I have a 20-year-old at the University of Washington, and you said that you don't blame your parents and that you hit it really well. In retrospect, is there anything that they could have done? Is there anything that we can do for our kids? Is there a way to check in with them the right way? Victoria, to ask the question how you're doing, what can we do as parents to hear your story and be there for our kids? Honestly, I think the biggest thing is, especially if you're a parent of an athlete, like an elite athlete, honestly, just sympathizing a little bit with the pressures that they're under, not adding to it. I know that my dad now, he apologizes for certain things because he blames himself for not noticing it and adding extra pressures to me because, you know, he pushes me really, really hard. He just, he wants me to be the best that I can be. And I love him for that. And I know that he loves me, but sometimes when life gets so overwhelming, you just want to come home and you want to be able to decompress. So if you have parents that kind of aren't letting you decompress a little bit or are trying so hard for you to succeed in the most loving way, it can just add fuel to the fire a little bit. The one piece of advice that I could give is if you notice that your kid is starting to push back a little bit, they're very quiet when they're out in the open, fake it a little bit. And there's also for me, a key word, and my parents notice it all the time now is I used to always say, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. If I say it now, my parents continue to ask me questions because they know I'm not fine. I don't really, I know you're a college and and now professional athlete. And I know that this has been a string of headlines the last many weeks. I try not to make this about student athletes because for everyone we hear about, there's a non athlete, a student Mm -hmm. that's struggling and taking their own life. When you heard about these on-campus tragedies, one to the next, did you start to think about your time at the University of Florida and what college athletic departments and university infrastructure can do? Because, you know, we as parents say goodbye to our kids and they go to Gainesville and we're not with them every day. Mm -hmm. But there are people that do have access to our kids and our athletes and our students every day. Are they doing a good enough job in college, do you think? Um, My situation, I think that my coaches did the most for, I mean, I think that they did everything that they could for me. I don't know if I went to another school and struggled the way that I struggled, if my coach would have sent me home for two months like my coach at UF did. Or even even just tennis-wise, like I struggled so much. I think that other coaches that I was recruited by probably would have buried me and it would have made it a lot worse for me. I think that as far as college in general, I think it needs to be talked about more. It just needs to be more normalized because the more that you learn about it, the more that you talk about it, that's how you end up saving someone's life. You might not even know it. Well, Victoria, let me just say this, that I've had the privilege over the last, like, I don't want to date myself, 30 years of doing this, talking to big-time athletes, guys that have won, gals that have won MVPs and all kinds of awards. To me, you take the cake. There's there's no, no bigger honor, no bigger privilege 
than to have a conversation for 25 minutes with somebody who was where you were, survived and be able to tell the story and have opened up and put herself kind of on reserve to say, hey, here's where I struggled and help so many people in the process. As you continue to tell this story in different platforms on Instagram, you're saving lives. And <laughs> it's amazing. You're amazing. You're a real Thank hero. You so you're much. a real, real hero. And I Thank appreciate you. I appreciate it very much that you come on our show here in Seattle and talk to our listeners. Thanks awesome. so much. So let's continue this really important conversation by welcoming back Mark Kalinsky to our show. You don't need me to remind you about January 2018 and the tragedy of Washington State quarterback Tyler Halinski taking his own life. Dad Mark and Mom Kim, with a Y, continue their incredible and tireless work championing Halinski's hope, whose mission is to educate, advocate, and eliminate the stigma associated with mental illness. This Thursday, by the way, would have been Tyler's 20. 20- Sixth birthday. Mark, it's so kind of you to spend another segment with us. How's your family doing in the last couple of years? Oh, thanks for having me, Mitch. Um, they're doing okay. You know, everybody's May is a is a busy month, not just with Tyler's birthday, but mental health awareness keeps us even more uh even more plate spinning, I guess. But everybody's doing their thing and and uh we don't have time to sort of look back on this. I suspect, you know, we're we're doing slightly better in some things and maybe not as well in others, but uh, we got an eye out for everybody, you know, the family, of course, and so far it's, you know, it's working. Mark, we just spent some time with the incredibly courageous Victoria Emma, who's now a mm. professional tennis player, who described her darkness and her fight with mental health. What's it been like for you and Kim to read about this flurry of suicide and headlines and sports and college sports the last few months. Well, it's heartbreaking, you know, um, particularly in the, like you said, the last seven or eight weeks, uh, we've lost five or six, uh, female athletes. We've lost more than that, of course, but the ones that are, you know, more nationally either known or the stories are are published nationally. We have a, we have a great group of Holinsky hope, uh, Holinsky's hope, followers and and supporters and when this happens you know we immediately get called or texts or emailed you know and and the same thing and i and i i still don't understand that as much um i think they just want to you know share that this we still need to keep doing this work i i think it's a it's a blend though mitch because on the one hand there's nothing but tragedy here losing your life losing your family's a family member's life is is hard beyond heartbreaking right so we don't we don't need to go all the way there i think what's what's happening though is it's becoming slightly easier to talk about this stuff and we're seeing so many and such a diverse group of professional athletes college athletes that are making the move to share with them you know and it, it's not a penalty it's, it's not a requirement that you share your struggle at all we just don't want you to have to hide it you know if, if you feel like it and so it's it's a mixed bag because the more the more we hear about it and the more the stories you know touch individual student athletes or their families, the better chance we have of bringing them the resources they need to to get better. You're incredible because you answered my next question. You kind of answered my next question. Is that I was going to ask you 
is there tangible evidence of change and improvement since Tyler's death as it pertains to destigmatizing mental distress? Are kids, clearly you think that kids are now more likely to speak up and share rather than it's too hard to let anybody in on the secret? You know, it's a a great question. I was talking to Ross Zabo, a great friend of ours, and the author of the book, Behind Happy Faces, and and he says, you know, we've been tracking these statistics for so long, and and he feels, you know, his sort of personal feeling, not not to, I guess I am sharing it for Ross, is that the awareness piece has done its job. You know, we'll, we'll continue to need that and we'll continue to need to, we need to turn that into education, I think, is, is where the next step is. We, you know, we talk about PE and physical health and anatomy and all those things through school. We got to work in um, the right conversation and the right vocabulary. You know, we tell the, we're, we're yelling, we're begging our kids to talk to us. And they, some of them, the, the info we get, you know, we talk to these guys after our, Tyler talks is they don't know what the things mean, you know, mental illness, mental wellness, mental health. You're talking about an age group generally, you know, that want to get things right. You know, these student athletes are, you know, they're sort of bred that way, right? They're trained to, to do this. And, and I think it's very difficult at the same age to ask for help for a lot of things. You, you know, you're embarrassed over everything. You know, right, my kids right. are, were embarrassed. I remember being the same way. Right. So yes. we know some of the stuff we're doing helps, right? Because we, we hear directly from the people that it did help and they give us the story and we're so happy to hear it. But, you know, when Kim and I walk away from these events or if, if somebody's gotten game plan for their, their school, we don't always get the follow-up. We're making a point of that, right? I mean, this, the research we have to do now <clears throat> has to be credible and it has to be, you know, you hear research-based a lot, but research-informed, research-based when we're building tools and programs, you don't, you don't want to just duplicate what everybody else is doing. If there's something you think you can add to, um, and that's how we've sort of approached it here. And to, to that end, really for college football, mental health week in October, we're going to be, we're really excited about this six module set of educational tools for our, for our kids. And, and there's, I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about the episode that I recently sort of worked through with the guys on stigma. And, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating you, to hear, you know, you're looking in the face of a 17, 18-year-old kid, m- maybe even much younger, and they want, you know, they want so desperately to, to be happy and to do the right thing, I, I think, you know, the ones we see, but they're stressed and afraid of making missteps. This is, I think people are starting to realize this is a, this is a, this is as much a crisis as there can be. Speak to the parents, Mark. So many of us, including me, have kids in college or will be soon sending one away to college because we're all desperately scared that the distance will be an obstacle to knowing how your kids are doing on the inside. It's not enough anymore just to ask. Well, I, I, just one very practical point I could, I'll share with you. It's, it's not... Um it's no secret. I mean, it's, it's personal to us, but the, the boys and I and Kim, we've, we've decided on sort of a, a code word. If it gets to the point of we love you and we miss you and how are you and how are you feeling? You, all you're getting is yeses and, and no's and you, you can't, well, I want to make sure that those two know that if, if they're just stuck and they can't, 
they, they can't put the words together. You know, they, they can't write that text. How am I feeling data? Let me tell you how I'm feeling. You know, you got four or five hours, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, you know, this idea that if you, if you say this word or text it, then everybody stops. We make sure that you're safe and healthy. And, and so, so there's sort of a practical on our side. Um, mm-hmm. We hear this a lot, right? And from administrators, from coaches, Hey buddy, how you doing? You know, Mr. Linsky, I ask him, I, I think I'm being as kind, you know, these giant men, some of them, I'm being as, as, as soft and kind as I can because I know he's struggling and I get, uh-huh, I'm fine. The, the common response to this has always been, don't give up. And, and that can't be more true here, right? We're, we're, we're not talking about an ACL. We're talking about something that unfortunately we're, we're at 25% of all college students not student athletes, but students will experience depression or anxiety at a uh, clinical level. The other thing I I would add, and I I should do this more often, you know, the statistics against somebody dying by suicide are fairly strong. You know, I, 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 when you say that, and I, I empathize how hard, you know, parents worry, but there is a, there is a, the numbers part of this that suggests that you don't have to worry that much. The problem is when you lose somebody, to this disease, it's an all or nothing game, you know? I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. You shared with me the other day that your wife, Kim, has been in close contact with Katie Myers' family, the soccer star that lost her life from Stanford. Mark, how are they doing? And what, if anything, about her struggles could help us and her tragedy could help us? Anything? Uh, Yeah, Kim has talked to Mrs. Myers. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'll give you an example. We, we have some dear friends in California still that when we, when we heard that Katie had passed, um, before it sort of got national news, we got some phone calls and it was this, it was torn between just grief and absolute desire to do something. Right. So, you know, these guys need you was sort of that message. Right. right. And, you know, you, you, you just close your eyes being in their spot and say, they don't need anything. Right. <laughs> Programming is for another day and another time. And we're g- glad that you call and, you know, we'll, we'll keep track and we'll try to help. That's all, you know, all we can do is sort of provide what we know, what we're going through. But each person's grief is unique. How they do it is, is even more unique still. Problem with all these kids is I don't, I don't know them as well as I know Tyler. But, you know, let's just think about Katie for a second. Top of her game, right? I mean, she's at one of the finest institutions in the country. She's won more accolades as a player. You can't get anybody in her circle to tell you that she did anything but smile and buy you a coffee. But it's a, it's a sad reminder that the people that often kind of show outwardly that they're doing okay can be struggling. And so when we do these Tyler talks, that's one of the finer points. Mark, let's finish up with this. I, I prefer not to make this about student athletes because as you kind of pointed out at the beginning for every one we hear about and we read about there are countless other college and high school aged students committing suicide with no headlines but there's obviously an additional layer of pressure and stress that comes along with the sacrifices made to compete on that level i know you and kim have gone campus to campus trying to improve the support system of these young men and women, what they have at these colleges. What have you found out 
And is that improving for these student athletes? That's a great, great way to end this. What we found is we're really surprised, happily surprised in one, the, the resources allocated, the quality of the people involved, right? So these are, these are, when we go to these events, it's usually their staff or, or uh, an associate AD that, that sort of organizes all that. And the degree with which they're interconnected, that they understand why we're here and what we're trying to say, are we there? No. <laughs> are, have we made an improvement? I absolutely think so. And I think, you know, the more our head coaches, our, our women's sports head coaches, our men's sports head coaches continue to really accept as part of their job that they can change a life in a different way, right? There's discipline and hard work and, and success and failure and all those lessons that go with it. But you've got a special place in that kid's life that you, you will see him or her in a different way than anyone else does. And you have an immediate impact or you can. And I think being open to that in the, in the schools, you asked about the schools and what I think the schools that have that and have buy-in from the coaching staff just are sort of light years ahead of everybody else. Listen, um, I send my best to you and your family. I know that this week will be especially difficult with Tyler's birthday. I know that you guys are going to be on the Today Show this week. We'll be watching and cheering for you. Uh, know that on this side of the state, there's a lot of people, a lot of people that have the Helinskis in our hearts and in our minds. So it's great to visit with you back on Mitch Unfiltered. And don't be a stranger. Let's let's talk about this a couple times a year. Let's continue the discussion, Mark. Thank you. It'd be my pleasure. Thanks, Mitch. Time for a visit from our mortgage slash football slash tournament expert, J-Flow. Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland branch of Cross Country Mortgage. How are you, J-Flow? I'm doing well, Mitch. It's crazy. Diaper dandies. It's amazing. <laughs> Diaper dandies is right. Between the birth of Barrett and now the tournament, I can't imagine there's a lot of work getting done over there. Any time for refis or phone calls? <laughs> oh, there's time for refis. There's time for diaper changes. There's time for basketball. It's amazing. I'm the head coach of my son's baseball team. There's always time. <laughs> who does Barrett, who does young, how old is Barrett now? And who does Barrett have in his final four? You know, Barrett is five weeks old and he is a Duke fan. So Duke's winning it all for him. <laughs> Not for me, though. Not for me. I have UCLA winning it all. And your daughter filled out a bracket? My daughter filled out a bracket. We called it Blakely's Bracket Busters, and hers is busted already. She picked San Diego State to win it all. She's five. <laughs> all right, lots of volatility in the stock markets. What has that meant for interest rates and your side of the world? Yes, so rates have been continuing to climb here recently um, as the Fed tries to get out in front of inflation, hopefully, and curb the long-term yield curve. So uh, right now we're seeing Rates go up mid to upper threes on certain products and low fours. So overall, still great time to look at buying a home, especially in this market. And also great time to still be looking at uh, refinances, both cash out, consolidating debt. And there's still people dropping interest rates or getting out of, say, FHA and uh, conventional loans. So still lots of loans to be had out there. Let's say I'm buying a new house, Jordan, for a million bucks. 
I've got a great credit history. I'm looking at a 30 year fixed. What am I doing? Putting 20% down, 200 grand down. And what's my, what's my monthly number through you guys? Yeah, pretty standard 20% down for a jumbo loan. Um, you're looking in the upper threes, we'll call it three, seven, five, give or take right now. We have five and 10% down options with no mortgage insurance on jumbo products too. So I would say the number you'd be looking at is somewhere around that three, seven, five range. Beautiful. And how do I call you in between diaper changes and NCAA tournament games? Absolutely. You can reach me on the cell phone, 425-890-2957. We love J-Flow. He's a dad for the fourth time, ladies and gentlemen. Cross Country Mortgage, Kirkland Office, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Bob DeFelice was born to coach and teach. For the past 52 years, he has coached the Bentley baseball team, the only head coach the school has ever known. It's something I've always loved. Baseball just is always a treat. You know, as long as I feel good, you know, I think I want to keep going. I would bet a lot of money that you don't recognize the name of our next guest, Bob DeFelice. And that's what makes it exciting for me to not only chat with him, but introduce you to him. In 1969, Mr. DeFelice, and I call him Mr. DeFelice because he deserves that honor, he became the first baseball coach at Little Bentley College in Waltham, Massachusetts, now Bentley University. Have I done well so far, Bob? Am I okay so far? You're fine. Okay. Good. <laughs> couple Sundays ago, 54 seasons later, he said goodbye. I should say 54 seasons, nine Hall of Fames. His name is on the baseball field. His name is on the hockey rink. He's got a statue, and the statue sits in what plaza, Bob? Give us the name of the plaza that the statue sits in. <laughs> it's Deflease Plaza. <laughs> I love that. My, my son thinks it's great that he said the only person I know has a statue and you're not dead. That's not the reason oh. why they got it. <laughs> it is beyond an honor to have you on our little show out here in Seattle, Bob. First of all, happy birthday. A little birdie told me that you just celebrated a pretty big number. You don't look a day older than, I don't know, 56. 80 years old uh, Tuesday. Imagine that. 80 years old. How'd you celebrate? You get a cake? No, no. I, well, yeah, a little small cake. I never was into birthdays and stuff like that. So it actually was what probably prompted me to uh, retire because my wife, you know, has asked that question. And I said to her, I said, look, I, you know, I don't want to be 80 years old and still coaching third base. And so <laughs> she looked at me and she said, well, you are. I said, oops, good point. <laughs> Have you second-guessed your decision? Are you comfortable? Are you at peace with it a couple weeks ago? Oh, later? no. It was time. I mean, it was I, It was enjoyable for me. But I think, you know, the program, the school, everything has changed so much. And, you know, you can say people adjust and adapt. But still, 80 years old is, uh, you know, it's enough enough. 54 years of coaching has been the school's been great to me. It's been a ride. You can't believe it's people ask me a hundred times and I can't answer the question. You know, how do you feel? I said, I, I can't describe it. It's been such a positive, positive thing, you know, to stay here so long. And that's the other question everybody asks is, you know, did you ever go anywhere else? And I said, no, I probably wasn't good enough to go anywhere else, but, uh, 
Yes. I, it was so good here, from, even from the beginning when there was no field, no school. You know, we were just starting out. We only played 15 games. It, it was it just never stopped. It was a great ride, and uh, something you know that really I think kept me from being 80 years old. That's a weird thing to say, but that's you know, I feel good. So. Two thousand, nearly two thousand games, I think. God almighty, yeah. that's a how'd you stay? Who'd you fool so long by? How'd you stay around so long? <laughs> you, no, that's a great, great question because you read off all that stuff, and uh, my answer to all of that is. It's living proof that you can fool most of the people most of the time. <laughs> You're talking to them, Bob D. Felice. <laughs> What's your record, Bob? Am I allowed to ask that question? Your career? Record? I love the I love the question because <laughs> SIDs are you know, and people in publicity, they're always putting your record out there, and so you know, out goes my record, eight hundred and some odd wins, and the third most in the country, and I. And I tell everybody, I was at a dinner the other night, got introduced, and I said, you know, I, everyone leaves out the other part of it. Uh, I got over 1,000 losses. I said, I still hold the all-time record for the most losses in Division Two. <laughs> How does that feel to hold that record? <laughs> I, I, I'm not. You know, I was never into that. Uh, I can't count that high. Yeah. It's good. Things are good. Let's go back to the beginning, Bob. You were a three-sport athlete at Winthrop High School. You were yep. a darn good catcher, as I understand it, and scouted by the Boston Red Sox, and you wanted to sign right out of high school, but Dad said, uh-uh, no way, Bob. No, first-generation Italians, uh, you know, the mindset in those days where you, you're you not going to be like me, you're going to college. And I'm like, Dad, I don't want to go to college. I, I hate school. <laughs> uh, but I went, and... Um, Ended up playing football and baseball at BC, and I learned, believe me when I tell you, the hard way of the value of an education. And and uh, after I got through, I mean, it was a struggle. I wasn't an academic kid, but at the end, after I got out in the world, I saw the value of what it what it meant. And I think what, <laughs> believe it or not, not an academic guy, you could tell that in about five minutes talking to me, but. I have been a real proponent of it because I came close not having to having that. Thank God for my father. Uh, you know, who knows 18-year-old kid out with a lot of money doesn't know anything where I would have ended up. So when I look back at the fortune of having people help me and start with him, uh, got me to where I am. Mm. Believe me, mm. it didn't have that much to do with me getting here. A lot of help along the way. A few years at uh, Boston College, you played, as you said, Football and baseball. I think he got hurt playing yep. uh, playing football. So you you concentrated on baseball. The Red Sox kept an eye on you. I love this. You come out of school and you end up in the Red Sox organization. You idolize the guy named Ted Williams, and then in kind of a surreal moment, he's out there with you guys during spring. Did I read this right? He's given tips to you guys. Ted Williams is giving Bob D. Felice tips. It's an unbelievable story. He he was just retired. He's like 46. He loved to come to spring training with the, um, the non-roster players. He would come where all the minor leaguers were and he would put on a show. He would stay and uh, work out and talk to you. And at lunch, you'd sit there like little kids listening to him and he would talk about hitting for hours. So 
what, you know, at the time you could say now, but even at that time, you know, I was 24 years old. I wasn't an 18 year old kid and you know, spellbound listened to him and what a great experience, mm-hmm. you know, to be around him, have that contact. It was good. There's a little blip in between. Uh, when I was at BC, we went to the College World Series. Yes. Myself. You played USC, right? Well, I was one of them. Yeah. But we had a chance. I know I had a chance to sign. And it was like, no, you finish in school. So what happened was my senior year, I found out when you bat seventh on a real good team, like I did when I was a sophomore, you know, you kind of go unnoticed. But when you bat third, my senior year on a, not a very good team, you get exposed. <laughs> so <laughs> I had the worst year possible and I couldn't pay to get signed. So I took a job at 21 years of age as a head football coach at Christopher Columbus High School right. in the north end of Boston and a teaching job at Winthrop. So the Red Sox signed me two years after I got out of school. They needed catches. I think they just wanted catches at batting practice. But you wanted a story. I'll give you one quick story sure, about I love football. This. Yes. It's my 21-year-old head football coaching story. I'm a kid. Yeah. <laughs> the kids on the team are almost <laughs> my age. But I'm like all young little puppies, excited, and we're going to our first game. We're playing Matignon High School, some powerhouse, and, you know, I think we can beat them. <laughs> they had won a game, Christopher Columbus, in like five years or whatever, <laughs> and it's 30 to nothing at halftime. We're losing, and the coach on the other side, uh, you know, I knew he was a great person, friend. They could just do quarterback sneaks so they wouldn't run the score up, you know, which was worse. The next week, we play this school called Boston College High School. They beat us 45 to 6, and it's like, oh, my God. So here comes the story. The next year, we next, next game is a school called Mission High School in Boston. And uh, we beat them 16 to 14. So in those days, and we played on Sundays, the Catholic Conference played on Sundays, so I get up Monday, and in those days, uh, sports were high school sports were really covered a lot. I'm all excited. It's like we won the Super Bowl. Pick up the paper, headlines, you know, pictures going to be in the paper. Nope. The headline, I still remember, Columbus Downs Mission High, 16-14. Mission High School drops football. <laughs> you sent them into retirement, coach. <laughs> they dropped football because they lost. That's how bad we were. They, they figured if we beat them, there's no sense to have a football. And I was like, you want to talk about humility. How do you develop humility? That's one good way right there. But, you know, things got better. And then when I got a chance to sign, then I went away and played and really got bit by the, uh, you know, the whole baseball thing and spent a few years in their system. So then came back. Yeah, job opened up at my high school in '69 or '70 as a as a head football coach at Winthrop High School, and then I started playing. You know, I realized that I was, the Red Sox were great to me. They gave me every chance. Uh, they had just signed Carlton Fisk. Well, I looked at Fisk coming out, and he was only uh, one year into college. He was 19. And I looked at him and I looked in the mirror and I said, it's time to go get a day job. You're not going anywhere. And I think that helped. So you coached. So Bentley comes a calling. They didn't even have a baseball program at the time. No. You you set it up. You're the first guy. And so you coached high school football and baseball for like 15 years at the same time, right? You, 
You juggled both yes. guys. How, yeah. how, how, how much did they pay you? How much did Bentley pay you in 1969 to come set up the baseball program? $1,500 a year. <laughs> so you start off your baseball career. You're a young guy, a baseball coaching career. And then, as far as I'm concerned, Bob, you get the biggest break of your life as a baseball coach. The school, Bentley, hired a new athletic director who was uh, really in your court. Tell us the name of the guy who was athletic director for 29 years, who treated you right, who treated the baseball coach right at Bentley. What was that guy's name? <laughs> yeah, Robert Anthony D. Felice. <laughs> 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 did he treat the baseball coach with the respect? Did he, or did the baseball coach get on his nerves? That athletic director. <laughs> no, I think what happened is the baseball program took a back seat because, you know, like anything else, you're super sensitive. Everybody thinks you're favoring baseball. So stupid. That's me. I did went the other way, and they got the the end of the stick, so to speak. That kind of, but it, it was fine. Yeah, everything worked out well. Yeah. You know what? It was good. You know, can I tell you one thing? Sure. And and I really so this is not an advertisement, but it bothers me that the NCAA is really pushed to keep coaches from being athletic directors because they feel it's a conflict or whatever. But when people ask me about, uh, you know, how how did you get where you were and how was it being the athletic director? It was great. It was easy because I was a coach just like the rest of them. The people I was in charge of were me. They were coaches. Right. They knew the problems I had. I had, to, I knew their problems. And I think it was a tremendous asset from a communication management point of view into all of that stuff. Like you really understood today's world. It's a little different that you've seen a lot of non-coaching people, business people, fundraisers, academic people as athletic directors. Yes. <clears throat> And I and I just I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it was a tremendous asset for me, being the athletic director and a coach at the same time. To put it in its proper perspective, when you started coaching at Bentley, the Beatles were still going strong. The U.S. had landed on the moon in 1969. Bob D. Felice, Robert D. Felice, is the coach of Bentley, and here we are, 54 years later, and we've got Nick Saban fighting with. Jimbo Fisher, you got name, image, and likeness. You got kids making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to go play collegiate sports. Things have changed since 1969, Bob, a little bit, don't you think? <laughs> oh, it's, it's unbelievable what's happened. You know, for me to sit back, well, I'll give you one of the things is when I came to Bentley, they were building the school. It was a, um, a building downtown Boston. And it was one classroom, and it was called the Bentley Col Bentley School of Accounting. Then it became Bentley College, but that's what Bentley was. So in '67, they bought land in Waltham, and they developed. And I came here; they were still finishing the dorms. It was the first class that lived on campus. It was '68, I think. So I've seen from 1968 to present everything built at this school. And it's unbelievable. It's a very difficult profession. I, I don't envy people in this profession anymore because it's so many things you got to deal with. The kid today, now think about Bentley University. Harvard grades to get in here. That's why I was such a good academic institution. 
number one. Number two, it's 75 grand to come here. Wow. I don't care how much money your family makes. That's a lot of money, a lot of money for one kid. And so a lot of them work and we don't have scholarships and we don't give out, you know, money. It's really a difficult process. And yet they're here 24 hours a day. Their, their amount of time that they put into it is unbelievable. So and, and I you, take my hat off to them, really. And you've talked about this. I read this. You know, you spent all these years and you joked about not wanting to coach division, whatever. You, you've said that Division Two baseball, Division Two sports, there's a charm to it. There's a charming element to Division Two all these years that just doesn't exist in the bigger time. Explain that to us. I, I think that th- there's some value to that statement, only because I think they have to work so much harder in order to be able to compete. Um, things are not easy for them. You know, they're not their budgets, uh, they're paying all, all of the above. They're treated a little differently. There's, there's no fanfare made about it. There's no headlines. They're here for the right reasons. Uh, and that's corny. I know that's really corny. And I'm not a proponent of the quote student athlete. It's like, you know what? They're killing themselves to get good grades. And they're making a commitment that the Division One full scholarship kid is making. I've seen them. I mean, I know a lot of Division One places. I've been around, and they work hard and they work at their craft. These kids work just as hard, put more into it or as much into it, but it has a lot of meaning to them. I don't think there's anything they take for granted, and I think down the road there's a lot more connection to their teammates, to their friends, to their playing. Yeah. Are they getting more out of it than a Division One kid? Of course not. Division One kid scholarship is, you know, big name school. Come on, let's. But they are, they're getting their money's worth, and and they're earning it a lot more than the Division One kid is. When you were growing up, and when I was growing up a little little later than you, average home runs, RBIs. That's it. That's all we knew about average home runs and RBIs. Pitchers. Wins and losses, and ERA. That's it. Now we've got analytics and sabermetrics and data, and guys are in weight rooms. How many weights do you think Ted Williams? How many weights do you think the Babe Babe Ruth lifted when he was a kid? I got. You know what? I got to be careful and <clears throat> be careful because I'm a great believer in training and conditioning. Okay, there's there's no question. There's an asset to it, but but. I asked the question a hundred times. It's like, if Ted Williams lifted weights, do you think he would have hit better than he did? And, <laughs> and everybody looks at me and they go, well, that's Ted Williams. Well, then I rattle off Stan Musial, Joe DiMaggio, Babe, you know, Lou Garrett. You want to keep going? So they were in baseball condition. They were, the conditioning is important, but now they've gone crazy with supplements, weightlifting, sure. special coaches, analytics. It's, it's crazy. And I, at what point does some medical person say there are far more injuries today in all sports? Let, let's just stay with baseball. There was no such thing as a, an ACL uh, for a player. Pitchers got sore arms. I never, ever heard of a player having a sore arm. So forget about pitching. Let's just stay with a regular player. So the injury number is increased dramatically because they're training year-round. They're not allowed to play three sports like a lot of us did when we were growing up, which is an asset. They're now focusing year-round in one sport, training year-round. And is that 
good for them, uh, bad for I don't know. But, hey, listen, the game has changed. I'm playing D-ball in Wellsville, New York. Matt Sesney is the manager. He's driving the bus on the road where we had bus trips that were back and forth. He's driving a school bus. There's no pitching coach. There's no batting coach. There's no – it's Matt Sesney. He's the only guy. Wow. And as I went higher, there was two coaches. In the Eastern League, there was the – Billy Gardner was the manager, and then he had two guys, and that was it. Today, the dugout has <laughs> X amount of players in it, and yeah. there are more people not in baseball uniforms that have jobs. <laughs> and I don't care. Go to a basketball game. Same there thing. are more guys in suits sitting on the bench with, than there are players. <laughs> oh, gosh. Amazing stuff. Listen, the little birdie who was in my ear telling me about your 80th birthday also whispered in my ear, you've got to ask him about aluminum bats versus wooden bats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm going to go back uh, maybe 20 years. Well, because I play with wood sure. as a player. Sure. I mean, I saw guys hit 450-foot home runs with wood. Guys hit the ball hard, and that's all I knew. And then out came aluminum. Maybe we started here with wood uh, back when I started coaching. And this aluminum bat came out with a cost saver. Uh, people kind of liked it. Cold weather, there's no question it was helpful. And it was not really an advantage. It was different structured. Okay. And then it got its life of its own. And then I had a team here in the nineties that set an NCAA record for the most home runs hit. Really? Really? Nine in, yeah. Some crazy record that, that I had these 145 pound guys hitting the ball 450 feet. I'm not exaggerating. I'm coaching third base and these little bats are the ball flying out of the pocket. I'm like, I couldn't hit the ball that far with a fungo bat from second base. Yeah. They were like trampolines, and yeah. and so it got out of control. There was no such thing as bunting. You're crazy to even take a chance of stealing a base. It changed the game, and you, there was no – pitching was irrelevant. You couldn't throw a changeup. You couldn't pitch the ball inside. You couldn't. You were like at the mercy. That's how bad it was getting. So then the NCAA started to at least put some restrictions on it. So I fought for us to try go back to wood. Yeah. Reasoning being, every summer league in those days, even in those days, twenty were using wood, and so major league people, division one coaches, aren't you supposed to be preparing kids for the pros like all the other sports are? So we pushed and uh, convinced the people in the league, uh, the coaches and the athletic directors, to go to wood, and then after one year, you know, the first year was tough, the adjustment. It was like um, you played halfway in, no one's hitting the ball. But people got used to it real fast. And it took off, and for 15 years, the Northeast 10 was a wooden bat league. Wooden bat league. The whole league, and it was great. The kids loved it. Really? And I and I am prejudiced, but I'll tell you right now, the Northeast 10 Division Two baseball, that league became a premier league, not just here in New England, but around the country because of wood bats. Mm-hmm. Kids loved it. It was a different game. You bunted, you sacrificed, you hit and run. Pitchers could throw change-ups. It was like a new world. And then comes, you know, we get that new wave of coaches, and they were playing non-league games, and they didn't want to use wood when the other school used aluminum. I say, fine, then use the aluminum. They didn't want to go back and forth. 
So they voted to go back to the wood. I mean, to the aluminum. That was two years ago. But mm-hmm. it is no comparison. And we're back to the same thing. Every league in the country is using wood bats in the summer. And then we're back to the same thing. Why a division one schools not using wood bad. If you're trying to get your kids to prepare for the big leagues and anybody that tells you there is no difference, they're full of shit because there's a difference, huge difference. Mm-hmm. Anyway, listen, what it is. you know, I, I got one last one for you, but before I ask you about her, because I want to know about the woman behind the man here all these years. But I've spent 20 minutes with you, and I know you're 80 years old, and I know you've quit, but I I think you got to go back. You, you're sharp. You're sharp as it's you're sharper now than you were at 25 years old. You got to go back. Who said you could quit? You didn't get my permission that you could quit. I don't <laughs> think you should quit, Bob. I, you know what? I, I Oh, I feel good. I mean, there's no question that. Um, it's going to be difficult to make this adjustment. Yeah. And as of today, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I, I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, I'm not into walking. I'm not into reading. How about golf? Do you get up on the first Uh, tee? No, absolute. The worst athlete that plays golf in the (laughs) United States, but I am starting to play and I'm determined to get a little better. No, I like playing. Okay. But, you know, I'm not going to play golf every day for the rest of my I read life, something so. that said I read something that said that you want to go to the all the ballparks. Was that a joke? In some newspaper that you want to try to go to all the major league ballparks. Yes? I've done you know, I've gone to half of them. A friend of mine who used to be the athletic director at Stonehill, we started doing that and he passed away and I kind of like stopped, yes. but I don't, yes. you know, that's not a bad thought. There's some great places and good cities. Come out and, here. So. Come out here to see. Listen, before you hang up on me, because you've had enough of this guy in Seattle, <laughs> Patricia Marcunas, did I pronounce yeah, that right? Yeah. Yeah. You met her. I love this story. You met her in like 1967, 66. I'm, I'm about right. Somewhere in that. You went on a first I, date. Yeah. 66. I think it was 66. I was playing in Winston-Salem. Yeah. yeah. You went on a first date and you explained to her on the first date. Now, listen, Patricia. You're great and all, but my life is baseball. My my life is sports. I don't really have a lot of time for anything else. And then as I read it, you propose two months later to her, for God's sakes. <laughs> it, it was an amazing relationship. You can't even use the word relationship. So, And got married before I went. How about I got married on February 25th, and we left the wedding reception. It was down in Winston-Salem. We had to leave the wedding reception to drive to spring training the next went to spring training the next day. That was my honeymoon. So I tell everybody it was a fourteen day road trip and I've been on one ever since. And here I, <laughs> I hope she liked baseball. Did she know anything about baseball when she loves made? she loves baseball and I mean really, she would come when we were young younger the kids were really young she would take them to the game she would come to probably every game but she what she really loved was football uh-huh. you know, it was a small town uh we played on saturdays it was a big thing and we were pretty good there was a run and stretch of games and so she loves she loved the kids she fell in love with all of the players they were really special to her she got to know them and i mean it was difficult in the sense of the time consumption, being away, you're not doing, you know, you're not going on vacations like everybody else is. But the flip side, I think at that time it was a positive thing. You know, you're charming, you're successful, you're smart, you're funny. 
Uh, you're everything that I hoped you'd be. I read the articles. I became familiar with your story all the way out here in Seattle. And I said to myself, you know what? He is what the podcast is all about. When I started the podcast about three and a half years ago after 25 years on the radio, I said to myself, we've got to get storytellers. We've got to get guys that have great guys and gals that have wonderful stories that only people know regionally. People know you in the Boston area. They don't know you out here in Seattle. But now, maybe Patricia's going to get her wish. We're going to offer you a job out here to come out and be- <laughs> Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Her sister lives out there. Is that true? She lives about 20 miles south of Seattle. Yeah. Really? All right. Well, you have to come out and visit her. And when you do, you'll visit us. Thank you, Bob. All, all, the, right. all the very best. Congratulations on a wonderful career and much more than the wins and losses. I can only imagine the impact that you had on so many lives, so many young people's lives over 54 years that you touch. And I've read some of the quotes that they've had in your retirement. It's lovely. It's wonderful. It's a great story. And I wish you nothing but the same success post-baseball as you've had all those years, those 54 years. Well, I, I really, thank you. I really appreciate it. But I'll tell you one thing, <clears throat> what no one wants to hear. Those guys had a great impression on my life too. It was a two-way street. Believe me when I tell you, I got more out of it than just watching some kid become a good hitter. There, there was a tremendous attachment between all of us. So they did as much for me as I supposedly did for them. And I'm not making that up. That's what kept me going. That's why I, you know, I didn't make a lot of money. That's for sure. But that's the best part about it. The thing that you can't really describe. So when I hear that, I, you know, I feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I was part of that, but they were part of it too. They, they did a lot for me. Believe me. Thank you, coach. Give our best to Patricia. All the best. I will. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. Time for a visit with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. It's springtime. At Zeke's. How you doing over there, Dan? Yeah. Hey, Mitch. Yeah. Springtime's fun because our patios are opening up. And so it's always fun to drink beer and eat pizza on a nice patio on a nice day. And so there's more of that going on all the time. And it's fun. Would you say that most of your locations have outdoor seating? Not most of our locations, but certainly most of our full service restaurants, which we call pizza pubs. So, you know, if you're going to a Zeke's that's got a full bar, spirits, craft beer, all that stuff, there's likely to be outdoor seating. And you guys continue to grow like a weed. We've talked about Spokane a little bit. We haven't spoken of Mill Creek, White Center coming soon, and, and a couple of more. Tell us about those. Yeah, Spokane opened. We talked about that a little bit. Mill Creek opened and is doing well. White Center's coming up really soon. And then beyond that, we've actually got three more that are reasonably close. We've got Seward Park, Renton, and Duval in that order. And, you know, more deals coming all the time. And you're hearing from Mitch Unfiltered listeners I'm hearing through the grapevine? Yeah, that was pretty exciting. We, we've we actually got a couple of leads, no deals closed yet, but specifically that came from Mitch Unfiltered oh, and wow. heard about us there, which is obviously a huge stoker, but I'm a little bit worried that my invoices are going to go up now. <laughs> they are going to go up. They are going to go up. All right. I, think, I think that I've decided when I don't go with original cheese, like my mom's favorite, Cherry Bomb is my fave on the Zeke's Pizza menu. Where is it in, in the in the pecking order? Well, first, we still got to get your mom up here sometime and cut it into squares for her like she's used to it. Is it Camilli's? You or? got it. Camilli's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Florida. But you're not alone on the cherry bomb. It's definitely one of my favorites. And it's 
outside of cheese and pepperoni, probably the most popular one. And it's certainly the one people talk about the most. So yeah, cherry bomb is cannot go wrong with that one. What are you drinking these days from Zeke's? Yeah, this time of year, I kind of transition, you know, we order a lot for delivery and I, I use Zeke's for my grocery store for beer. We have better beer than you can get at the grocery store. So when I order, I just, I order enough for the next couple of weeks and stuff that I can throw in the cooler and stuff like that. I'm really excited for you guys. You've been a great partner back in the radio days and now with unfiltered Zeke's pizza homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Five years later, after his win at Guadalajara, it's just in time again at the PGA Championship. So this season's major championship number two, the PGA also becomes the second major in the career of Justin Thomas. But the headlines obviously dominated by one guy who was there until Saturday night when he withdrew and another who wasn't there at all, the defending champion. The questions about both kind of lingering over the sport. The man who wrote the book rejoins us on Mitch Unfiltered. This time from Southern Hills, Bob Herrig, author of Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry and Sports Illustrated as well. Hiya, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thank you. Before we get to those two dominant figures, share with us your thoughts on the PGA this time around. The last 30 or 40 minutes on Sunday was great theater, no mm-hmm. question, with the Zalatoris and Thomas and Pereira's sad 18th. But was it a memorable major up until those last 40 minutes, Bob? You know, probably not. Um, it, it took us until the end on Sunday for there to be some riveting stuff going on. Tiger and Phil kind of dominated the early talk. The weather turned strangely cold on Saturday. I mean, it had been in the upper 80s, low 90s all week. And then you show up on Saturday morning and it's in the 50s. I mean, uh, I realize we're in Oklahoma, but it's still pretty unusual. And, and that took, I think, a little bit of the juice out of it. There was, there was too much difficulty on, on Saturday. Uh, but that last last back nine, you could tell when Justin Thomas started to make a little bit of a move. Pereira was kind of shaky all day. Zalatoris, you close your eyes whenever he putts. Uh, he, he just is yeah. it's it's a little bit scary. Matt Fitzpatrick, who was in the last group, uh, has never won on the PJ Tour. He's won a bunch of times in Europe, but we we kind of had a, a bunch of guys seemingly on pins and needles and playing kind of nervous golf. And it got, it finally got exciting there towards the end. A lot of good shots. Unfortunate what happened to Pereira. He hit a beautiful drive in the same situation on that whole Saturday and made birdie. Yeah. And obviously on Sunday it went, uh, it went the other way. Uh, yeah. So Justin Thomas wins his second PGA. We'll get to Tiger and Phil who are obviously the big stars of your book. It's his second major championship, both PGAs. He seems like a really popular figure out there, Bob. I'm assuming that that uncomfortable incident in Hawaii, the homophobic slur, that that's well behind him and he feels no repercussions from that anymore. No, that I think I think he moved on from that fairly fairly well. Look, it impacted him there in the short term. I mean, he was he was pretty broken up about that. I think he felt awful about it. He didn't like the, the backlash and he also didn't like the fact that he caused it. Uh, and it, and it gave him some grief for, for a couple of months. 
Then he won the players championship last spring, a couple of months later, and it sort of took the weight off his shoulders, but yet he didn't win again until Sunday. It's, it's been a strange time in golf for some of the top players. Now, Justin Thomas hadn't won in more than a year. Dustin Johnson now has not won in more than a year. You know, I mean, when he won the masters in 2020 in November, I thought you might as well give him the green jacket in the spring. And that, and obviously that didn't happen. No. Um, we've just had, we've had a lot of parody, you know, uh, Jordan Spieth has been up there. John Rahm, Colin Morikawa has been kind of quiet. He's still ranked third in the world, but to your question about JT, yeah, that was, you know, he, he put that behind him, but yet he didn't have a lot of great results here over the past year or so. Uh, he's had, he's had some close calls, but been very frustrated about not winning. Let's go to the two figures in your book as it pertains to the PGA over the weekend. Tiger, we'll start with him. He says earlier in the week that he feels way stronger than he did at Augusta where he made the cut and played all four rounds but struggled over the weekend. And yet here we are. Mm -hmm. The weather at both places, no question, was problematic. He needs some hot weather. There's no question about that. What are the whispers? I mean, you've been around the, you've been around the media room, the media center for the last many days. You were there and at Southern Hills for over a week. What, what are the, after he withdrew on Saturday night, got in the plane and went home to Jupiter, what were all your guys, your brethren saying about him? Well, I think there was a sense of wondering if he, if he really has overdone it, if he did come back too soon. I believe him when he said he felt like he was stronger since the Masters. In practice, he showed some improvement uh, in, in mobility and moving around and and, and, and hitting some really good shots. And, and so you're thinking, okay, it's going to be a warm week. He's going to be at a course that isn't as hilly, nowhere near as hilly as Augusta national. This will probably be okay. But I think something happened on Friday. I cannot pinpoint it exactly. Uh, some point in his round, I don't know if he tweaked it. I mean, we're, we're not even sure if he's able to injure himself more. Um, but maybe he took a funny step or, or, or stepped on it funny, or maybe there was a, an, uh, an awkward stance, but something was not right around the turn on Friday. He somehow willed himself to birdie two of the last seven holes. He made a long par putt as well in there to make the cut shoot 69. That's his best score since he's come back in limited rounds, obviously. It was an incredible achievement to make the cut the way he did. And yet I just wonder if adrenaline carried him through and then overnight uh, Friday into Saturday, it just didn't respond as well. And then of course, as you mentioned, he had the worst luck in terms of the weather for himself. Saturday wasn't much different than the Saturday at Augusta. No, it was cold. It was damp. It was wet. The course was playing a lot longer these are all things that are not going to be in his favor. And I, you know, look, people are going to say, well, you know, what's well, everybody has to play in the cold. Well, sure. Yeah. It's not easy on anybody, obviously, but most of these guys don't have a bad back like he does, which it doesn't help. And obviously the leg is, is a problem. It's just going to be there. He, as you said, he needs heat. Heat is his friend. You know, he was sweating profusely when he came off the course on Friday and that's what he would prefer because he has an easier time staying loose. Is the smart money no Brookline for Tiger and then he shows up at the Open Championship and gives it a go at St. Andrews? 
I'm afraid so. I mean, we didn't really get to talk to him. You know, he, he, he only spoke to a pool reporter on Saturday. Obviously, then he withdraws. We get nothing more. Brookline's only three weeks away, three plus weeks away. You know, there was five weeks before this one's from the Masters. It's a smaller window. And you wonder if he didn't maybe have a, have a slight setback here. So is he going to have the time to regroup and, and, and gear up for it again? The U.S. Open will be a difficult golf course. That's the other thing. You know, he's coming back at the hardest courses. <laughs> and in some, in, in some ways, that's not a bad idea. The week before in, in Dallas, a, a 25-under winning score, that's not good for him either. But he would be better off maybe playing a more benign course, you know, one that 12 or 14 under wins. Maybe he can get on a little bit of a roll. Um, these courses where the rough is difficult and, it, you know, 530-yard par fours. Um, again, I, some, of, some of what Tiger did was really, really good. I mean, some of the shots he hit, some of the – he got behind a tree, hits this rope hook onto a green from 200 and some yards. The skills are still there. But he's got to get from point A to point B. And doing that over 18 holes in five-plus hours takes its toll. And I'm just not quite sure he's there yet. 18 holes in five-plus hours times four, right? right? And, and we're talking about the idea of him dropping in for majors and not playing anywhere else. I don't care who he is. Being in the mix after four rounds at his age, with his physical condition, just dropping into these majors and not playing the week or two before? I, I don't know how that's possible. Do you think that ultimately what he'd like to do is get strong enough to instead of playing four, let's say play eight, mm -hmm. play one before, then play the major, uh, maybe not play one in between the three weeks between the PGA and the U.S. Open, but play one before the Masters or two before the Masters. Maybe play one before the 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 British Open. I mean, or is he truly going to try to do this for the next umpteen years? Drop in at majors and play four rounds. Yeah, I, I don't really think it's a recipe for success long term. I mean, there you we could look at this as a look. This was bonus golf. You know, two months ago, back in mid-March, nobody was talking about Tiger playing the Masters. Nobody. I mean, only the most optimistic of Tiger fans yeah. and maybe some people in his circle yeah. who knew he was trying. But his own words and actions did not suggest it. And nobody was talking about the PGA either, frankly. And, and really, there wasn't much discussion about the U.S. Open. The thought was, well, you're not going to come back at the U.S. Open. The thought was St. Andrews, like maybe he can be ready by July. So the Masters became a bonus. This became like a positive. Wow, he feels good enough to play in the PGA. I've thought all along that adding some more tournaments to get ready was something that might happen next year. Next year. The other big figure in your book, which we uh, advise everybody to go out and, and take <laughs> a look at, Phil Mickelson, not there. Now, the other book that came out in and around the PGA Championship from your colleague, Alan, was a part of the story of the PGA Championship as well. I've not read it yet. I'm supposed to interview Alan next week sometime. Um, is it a good thing in retrospect that he wasn't there based on what came out in the book and people talking? Or do you still think, like a lot of others, 
that he should have been there and it would have been okay. I think he should have been here, but I'm not sure it would have been all okay. But the, the thing is, he's going to have to face it at some point if he wants to play. And I can't imagine he feared sitting down for 30 minutes in front of the media. He could have deflected a lot of that. He's been in front of us a zillion times. Did he have an issue with his peers? Maybe possibly. Well, you show up an hour before your tea time, you get to the range, you get your work in, you play. My feeling, my guess is he didn't feel his game was good enough and he didn't want to put it on display at a really hard golf course and embarrass himself on the course. He's had enough off the course issues. If he struggled out there, that would just add to it. Yeah, I could see that being a possibility. But all this other stuff, it's going to have to happen at some point. I've got an idea. And maybe you would say, so what? My idea is he's committed to play in London in this event. And that's going to look really bad. And at some point during the session with either you guys or the media guy you talk about, the question was going to come up. Are you playing in London? And he's going to show up in London because maybe he's already received money from those guys that he's either got to give back or maybe he doesn't have it to give back. He's just stuck at this point. And maybe he felt like, I can't go out there on the PJ. I can't do anything until the London thing is over. I got to play the London thing and then I'll deal with the PGA Tour. Absolutely, that's possible. I mean, maybe he didn't want to be in a position of lying because I don't think he would have admitted it. If you come here and you talk to the media and you say you're going to play in that, then that becomes a huge story. And he doesn't want to take away from the PGA Championship. Of course, you know, you'd think he wouldn't want to do that. I can absolutely see your scenario. He applied for a release to play in it. Nobody's being granted them by the PGA Tour. We still expect several to go do it anyway and see what the consequences are. I think in terms of the tour, for him to come back to them in good standing, he'd have to completely turn his back on Liv. And you made a great point. Have they paid him? Does he not want to pay it back? There was lots of chatter about other guys getting paid who did pay it back when this thing sort of blew up in February. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see. That London event is not very far off. Something's going to have to give here soon. And tied to the money thing, it's just, you know, for all of us regular people, it's inconceivable that a guy that's made $900 million could be broke. We know about the gambling, but you go back and maybe you'll tell me there's other parts of Alan's book that are more troubling. The one, I've not read it yet. The one clip that, that really stands with me is the bones thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that yeah. kind of stands above every. I mean, here was a guy, and I tried to explain this to my partner, my co host on the show earlier. Here's a guy who's been known over the last 30 years as an extravagant, generous tipper. He gives money to this guy, he gives money to that woman, he over tips, he gives money, mm-hmm. he walks around. He, he's always been portrayed as this guy who just loves to give money away, give him money. And in so doing, now we read he wasn't paying the guy that he owed. That he, owed, right. that he owed his caddy. And by the way, it doesn't help Phil that his caddy, I mean, I know so many people that know him. There's nobody who doesn't like this guy, this guy Bones. I mean, he's like one right. of the most popular people, whether they're golfers or caddies that have ever been on the PJ Tour. So so now you've got this, this really ugly portrayal of Phil Mickelson, $900 million later, sticking Bones for nine hundred grand. 
Now, maybe he's paid him back since, and that that's why the breakup occurred. Boy, all of that combined with money and rumors and live money that he does want to give back or he doesn't want to give, and gambling, it's just, it's an ominous cloud that that kind of hovers over Phil Mickelson. Don't you think, Bob? No question. I mean, I don't think he's broke. I just think he doesn't have near as much as he should. And the fact that a guy with the kind of income that Phil has had would owe Bones, Jim McKay, Jim Bones McKay would owe him $900,000 for any length of time is really troubling. And it's my understanding he did get it, but it certainly led to friction in their relationship. And they did not break up in 2017 as amicably as they both try to portray it. And that's a real credit to Bones because he did not torch Phil on the way out. He made it out like it was a mutual decision. Well, it wasn't. He basically fired Phil. You know, so that was five years ago. You know, and look at where we are now. By the way, Bones was the winning caddy. Yeah, Caddies yeah. for Justin <laughs> Thomas now. Yeah. You know, so there was, there, yeah. it, it, there was some irony there in that Phil, the defending champion, wasn't at the tournament. And his old caddy, who's, who's very famous because of Phil and caddying for him for all those years, was the, was the winning caddy. Uh. This is a big part of his story. Gambling is a big part of his story. I focused on the gambling, the fun gambling. Phil loved to gamble on Tuesdays against his peers. He loved sticking the needle in. He, I have a story in there about how uh, at a British Open one year, John Houston waxed him in a practice round. Phil said there's no way he plays that well in the tournament. He went into a legal betting shop and bet against him. He bet that Houston would miss the cut. <laughs> and, and then he rubbed it in and told Houston that, and Houston did miss the cut. So, I mean, it's, it's like those are the fun stories. But, you know, when you, gamble, when, when you hear these stories about people gambling a lot, we don't always hear the bad stories. And the fact that he, that he owed somebody enough money to where he might want to make a stock deal to repay it, I just remember a few years ago when that came out, you know, the, 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 you know, he was a relief defendant. He was not charged with a crime, but he repaid almost a million dollars. He had almost a million dollars as they described as ill-begotten gains. All right. The idea ostensibly was to repay Billy Walters. They played golf together a lot, whatever. He lost money to him. Why would Phil not have a million dollars to repay him? He was making 30, 30 to $40 it's million the, dollars a year. Yes. That's a really troubling picture. That's a picture of a guy who's broke. I don't, I don't know how, ever, yeah. how to say it. And it's impossible for me to believe that he doesn't have the cash lying around unless he was winning tournaments and taking all the money from endorsements and throwing it into gambling and paying it's, off. And he gets into a hole and now he owes people money. So he's taking Bridgestone money and throwing it to to this guy that he owes and he's taking that money and throwing it to this guy. And he's taking the Dean foods uh, proceeds and giving it back to Billy Walters. Cause he owes it. it just, you know, you know about these stories and God love them. Hopefully it never happens to us, but it, you get into a hole and you can't get out of the hole. Maybe that's the story of Phil Mickelson. Well, and, and, you know, to take this even further, when he won the PGA last year, $2 million plus, but it should have enhanced all of his contracts. There should have been bonuses involved. You know, you, you'd have thought that a couple of them might've been enhanced. He maybe picks up another endorsement or two. Now, maybe we're not talking total of 30 or 40 million extra, but we're talking about on top of what he was getting. Instead, what's happened, he's lost most of these people. 
most of these endorsers. Uh, Phil was set up to make a lot of money every year for the rest, for the next 10 years, if he wanted to. He could have gone into broadcasting. Can he still? If he, Can I he don't still? know. No. It's tough. They were it's going to be tough. They were saying Romo type of money, like, uh, you know, Tom Brady, they were the, somebody was going to pay him $25 million, $30 million a year to go up in the 18th Tower with Jim Nance, but I don't know that that's available to him anymore. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, I, I don't know that it could have been that much in golf. But it could have been a lot, and he could have still played Champions Tour golf, which isn't lucrative, but would have been easy for him. He could have kept his name out there, which helps keep the endorsements going. He would have been playing in the Masters PGA and British Open, British Open through age 60, so 10 more years, the others for as long as he wanted. So the fact that he's going after this huge, huge money makes you really, really wonder. Yeah. And look, I always, I always try to back up on this too. When Phil criticized the PJ tour, it was over the top, but Phil is not wrong about everything about the PJ tour. A lot of players have gripes with the tour. They wonder where all the money goes. They don't, they complain about a lack of transparency. They wonder if there's too many executives making a ton of money and not earning it. I'm not saying that I'm saying this is what they say. And Phil has long believed that the stars are underpaid. And he has a point. That's why this live golf thing has legs. The stars are not rewarded for their value. I use this example all the time. Tiger shows up at random PGA Tour event. Maybe hasn't ever played there. Everybody in town gets excited. All the tickets get sold. They, they're not used to selling out. They maybe sell double the tickets. They add parking lots, more revenue. They, they add more concessions. More hospitality is sold. The TV ratings are good are really good. The sponsor's happy. Everybody makes money. Tiger doesn't get a dime unless he performs. But look at all the value he brought. Yeah. Phil's attitude has been there should be less tournaments, yes. more stars, more money for the top players. Now, of course, that's easy to say when you're a star and you're really good, but his attitude always was, hey, play better. When is, Lo is London before or after the U.S. Open? It's the week before. The week before. So and what'll be really interesting there is Phil has a contentious relationship with the USGA, which runs the yeah. US Open. Yeah. He's eligible for the tournament. Yeah. If he I, I have a hard time believing they could tell him not to come. And and I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to come to cause some discomfort. Um so play in London and then go the very next week and play in Boston at the US Open. <laughs> That'd be a pretty wild couple of weeks for us in golf. The name of the book, ladies and gentlemen, Tiger and Phil, golf's most fascinating rivalry, uh, penned by my friend Bob Herrick, the author, who you can also read on Sports Illustrated, in Sports Illustrated, and SportsIllustratedSI.com. He joins us on this episode 192 from Tulsa, Oklahoma, site of Southern Hills Country Club, Golf Club, whatever it might be. Bob. All the best to you. Have a good rest of the major championship season, and we'll talk to you again down the line. Thanks so much. I look forward to it. Thanks, Mitch. Be well. It's time to check back in with John Waterstrat of Fireside Home Solutions. He's back with us. Fireplaces, garage doors, you name it. How goes it over there, John? It's doing great. Uh, we've had to get through this mucky weather like you know, Mitch, but it uh, <laughs> looks like the sun's popping back out. Things are starting to shine a little bit more. Like everywhere else, you and I have been talking about the wait times for non-stock orders because of the shipping issue that everybody has. Are you seeing any improvement on that end? 
we definitely have seen some improvement. I can't say it's going to be quick, mm-hmm. but uh, it has improved. And uh, our manufacturers have done a wonderful job of just looking at their processes, looking at what we're going through right now, these shortages, and, and doing a good job to get lead times down. And what do you think they are? Uh, sometimes it depends. Like I said, we always have the stock list and we can mm-hmm. talk about that. But uh, we also have some things that are on longer lead times. But instead of waiting 30 weeks, we've kind of shrunk that down maybe to 18 to 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's not short, but it's gotten better. But there's always that option of purchasing and installing a unit that's in your inventory, which is what we did here at the Levy household. So let's walk through that for a second. The Fireside Home Solutions team comes to your home free of charge. They look at your space, analyze and listen to your needs. Then we visit one of your many showrooms in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Just talk to your sales rep. We'll come out to your house. We'll look at what you want and then just let your sales rep know. Is it speed that you need? If you need that, we'll get the stock list together. We'll find something that works and we can get that installed in about three weeks. If you have some time, let us know and we can get exactly what you want. And we just have to be patient, just like in any any order that we're talking about with these longer lead times. Perfect. A few years ago, you guys wandered into the garage door market too. How's that been going? Because I'm hearing about some exciting things coming down the line. Yeah, it's been great. We've continued to grow that business. And uh, here in the fall, we're going to go ahead and open a showroom in Tacoma. It's going to help the South Sound areas. And it's going to be really nice to be able to have Bellevue, Auburn, and Tacoma and just be able to help those customers in Pacific Northwest. That's awesome. Now, before you go, you have to tell our audience where you were for the first time in the middle of April and what you thought. Oh, I got to have that bucket list checked off and I was able to get to Augusta. Pretty awesome. Awesome to watch Scotty Seffler uh, hit some great shots, but the course is just a special place. Well, I'll say it then. We love Fireside Home Solutions, a tradition unlike any other and a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Episode 192, Hot Shots, Scott. Other stuff segment, go. Johnny Cash once again making headlines in his Arkansas hometown after a bullet hole in a very sensitive area of the musician's silhouette on the local <laughs> water tower. He's dead, right, Johnny Cash? He is dead, yes. Okay. So there's a silhouette of him on the on the big water tower. Somebody, of course, <laughs> shot him right in the... Had to shoot him right in the jewels. And it looks kind of funny with the water pouring out like he's taking a leak. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny, but they are losing about 30,000 gallons of water a day at a cost of about $200 a day. Officials have arrested Timothy Sled, and he's been hit with two felony charges, one for criminal mischief, another for impairing the operation of a vital public utility. You don't mess with the water supply. Have you ever heard the name Sage Steel, Hotshot? It sounds familiar. Yeah, you probably would know her if you saw her. Okay. She's one of these many, 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 many ESPN faces, does SportsCenter. She's been on there for a few years. No. It sounds familiar, but I can't, okay. I can't picture. At the PGA Championship on Thursday in the third hole, John Rahm, know him? I know that name, yes. John Rahm was on the third hole, and he hooked a, hooked a, a driver into the trees. 281 yards, 181 miles an hour the ball was traveling oh off of his stick. It went into the trees and apparently bounced off a tree and ended back into the middle of the fairway. It was like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Except that it didn't hit a tree hot shot. Oh, no. It hit Sage Steele right in the kisser. Really? Blood everywhere. Oh, no. John Rahm didn't know. He had no idea. All he knew was his ball was in the fairway. It didn't have any blood on it, the ball. It hit her, like, in the nose and the teeth. They rushed her to the hospital. They performed surgery. She's back at home. She's resting. Quote, I just want to thank everyone for your concern and prayers during the last couple of days. 
From the doctors, nurses, and EMTs at St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa to my doctor and dentist here in Connecticut oh, teeth and my I co-workers hate. at ESPN, I'm so grateful. With the help of my team, I hope to recover quickly from my three kids and get back to work. Oh. 281 yards later, it hit her right in the in the trees and the kids, right in the chops. And blood apparently was everywhere. 181 miles an hour off the club. Off the club, 100. Exit Velo, 181. Oh, I hope she gets better. Dan Link, a survivalist who's appeared in two previous seasons of the show Naked and Afraid. You probably haven't seen that show. No, I don't know. It's a survival show. They're naked. They got to figure out. Are they afraid? uh, Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) But he figured out a way to grow his own food in the Amazon. So before coming on the show, he ate a bunch of tomatoes before getting shipped off to the rainforest in Peru to film the new season. Well, that move was paying off because on the show, Dan took a dump in the woods (laughs) and mixed in some dirt, then added water. And now there are plants sprouting from the ground from his poop. His garden is growing so well. He's been moving the seeds around. And now there are three garden terraces, which are growing like crazy. BLT, anybody? See, I have a story that is the perfect segue to that story on my list. Oh, okay. That I should move up. I have them strategically. Oh, you do? I don't do that. I know. It takes work. But I don't really want to move it up. But I kind of think I should now that you've talked about poop. Tomato Growing. poop stories? Yeah. You have one like that? Okay. Well, it's kind of the same, isn't it? Money-making opportunity for you, Hotshot oh, Scott. Boy. See, this was way down the list. Yeah. Now i got to go back up. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. Yeah. You're wasting money every time you flush the toilet, Hotshot Scott. Don't I know Human it? Human ur- urine can be used as a safe and effective crop fertilizer, researchers, researchers now say. Studies show using pee as a substitute for commercial chemical fertilizers could have positive environmental impacts. Wow. Quote, this is Abraham Noe Hayes, a research director at the Rich Earth Institute. Quote, if you save all the urine that you produce in a day, and let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fine, go on. Yes. There's enough fertilizer in there to grow all the wheat that you need to make a loaf of bread. Oh, God. It's a huge amount of nutrients, he says. And it could grow a significant portion of our dietary needs just from the nutrients in our urine. Anything to help the farmers. I'm all for it. (laughs) So you could be selling your pee. The farmer gets up at 4 a.m., takes a whiz, and heads back to bed for the first time ever. He doesn't have to go work. Now, that was way down my list. I was going to go to the Mariner signing Justin Upton. I think I should mention that. on Four-time All-Star, 34 years old. He signed him to a deal. He's... It's going to be in the mind. I, it's, he's got nothing left. I don't even know why I brought it up. Um, the family of a 12-year-old boy suing yes. Apple. Yes. Now, you could, you could probably relate to this. They claim yes. he has permanent hearing loss after wearing AirPods during an Amber Alert. Really? Have you heard those Amber Alerts on your Yes. F- and boy, are they freaking loud. Yes. I mean, I kind of get where they're coming from, though. I, but maybe don't sue. I'm sure they go after Apple because Apple will probably just write a check to get away from You know, they got yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whoever's in charge of the volume, can you turn it down? Oh my God, hey, there's a couple of deaf guys here. Like I'm, you know, we can hear. Huh? Exactly. I play drums and get, you know, those are high tone. Dogs start running. Oh my God, those are loud. So I'll keep yeah, an eye on loud. this they to see loud. if they get any money. But the, idea, the idea is to get your attention, not just. They do, but I mean, maybe I'm down a little bit. Apple and I are not seeing eye to eye right now. Oh really? Yeah, I, I hadn't. Again, I hadn't thought of bringing this up on the show, but maybe since you're talking about Apple, I should yeah. tell you. I, I think that they are. They got a lot of nerve. So my son, Brett, yes. has AirPods. Sure. 
They stopped working. Okay. He bought them. He went in with me, or maybe he was 16 and went in by himself. He went in and bought himself a pair of AirPods with gift money or whatever, yeah. a gift card or whatever he was given for his birthday, whatever he wanted, AirPods. He went, they sold him AirPods. I yeah. bring that up for a reason. Okay. Because now they don't work. Okay. So I said, take them, take them to the store. So he goes to Bellevue Square <laughs> and he needs an appointment. Oh. So he has to wait a couple hours to even get to the appointment. So he waits a couple hours, whatever. He's in there forever. He says, the AirPods don't work anymore. Yeah. Check them out. They look at it. They're like, they don't work anymore. Yeah. We got to send them out for, for repair. But you can't send them out for repair. We need a signature of an adult. Oh. So now he's spent two hours there and they're not allowing him to sign. Okay. He was old enough to sell him the effing <laughs> oh, things. They're happy to take the he, money. But, but, <laughs> but they can't repair no, him for him? Of course not. It's one more hoop to jump Excuse through. Excuse me? Yeah. And what is that all about? Yeah, it's nonsense. If I, a, Explain it to me. If a dude... If a 16-year-old, if you're willing to sell a 16-year-old a pair of AirPods, which aren't cheap, I don't no, think. No, they're not cheap, yeah. Then you should be willing to let him sign to have them repaired. Okay, it's one or the other. Yeah, exactly. Either don't sell them. I, 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 don't, I don't think they're going to take this hint to not sell them. This, I think they're going to no, continue. I think they will too. What's that? So now he comes home. He's like throwing things. Yeah, I You don't want to piss Brett off. He's, <laughs> he's throwing things. He's sulking. He's miserable. I'm like, what, what, what happened? He says, they won't send him out without a parent's signature. Ugh. I said, all right, all right. I don't want you to be miserable. Yeah. I want you to do your homework tonight. I want you to be a happy guy. I'll get in the car. He said, don't get in the car. You gotta I make said, I'll get in the car. <laughs> I said, I don't need an appointment. Oh boy. And they said, he said, yes, you do. So I said, I'll show you how much I need an appointment. <laughs> And so very dad of you. So I called him and I explained the whole thing. And I said to him, I, I literally said to the guy, I am coming down right now. Right. He's like, I'm so sorry. We can't take a signature from a 16 year old. Yeah, I yeah. said, but you could sell him to a 16 year old. <laughs> right. I'm coming down right now. Do you, and don't tell me I need an appointment. No, no, no. You just, you just come down. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like, I, I was really mad. <laughs> so I get in the car. I get into the car. Mm. I go down to Bellevue Square. I go up there. The guy, I said, I want to speak to so-and-so. Yeah. And I'm like, what's the deal? And they bring me a computer uh, and I sign the form and whatever with my finger. Right. Right. I can't sign my name on those oh, things. it's hard. I yeah. sign my things. And I, as I'm walking out, I'm like, and by the way, whoever's making the policy call, whoever, Cook, call Cook, whatever the guy's name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. If you can sell them to 16-year-olds then you should allow 16-year-olds to have them repaired. Yes. But okay, you got my signature? Yeah. When are they coming back? They'll be back, estimated time of back, Friday. Whatever, five days. Okay. We get a call on the day that they're supposed to be back. We're still waiting for an adult to come down to sign for them to oh, go out. God. They hadn't even gone out. I, wh what? So you went down there, you signed, but that wasn't enough for them to actually send them out. No, we're still oh, waiting for an adult. We don't have. I said, you don't have any record. I came down. Here's the guy's name. Oh, we never send him a. They, now he did get free new AirPods out of it, which is impressive. I, I thought the whole story was going to be, you're out of I don't luck. Even know why I'm saying they this passed story. the warranty. You're out of what luck. What can I tell you? All right, Megan Rapino, Rapino. So I don't know. Are you next? Or am I? Okay, go ahead. Well, could you do the quick? This is quick. Okay. The U.S. Women's National Team got point. what they've been waiting for. Yes. for so long. I don't know if you saw this, U.S. Soccer just announced both men's and women's national teams will be paid the same. Will amount. receive equal yeah. pay. This has been going on for a long time, and this is uh, truly a historic moment. U.S. Soccer President Cindy Parlow Cohn said of the deal, because uh, truly the men barely even make the World Cup, right? And then the women win it, and people are watching the women much more than the men. 
but they it was a big gap you, in pay. And you know, over here, Hope Solo's yelling, you waited to now. Yeah, exactly. She wants back pay. <laughs> now you do it. Right, exactly. Are you following the Nick Saban Jumbo Fisher story? I didn't know he was Is called it Jumbo or Jimbo. I think Jimbo it's Fisher. Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher. I'm sorry, I said Jumbo. A little bit, but I heard so. I think it was Fish who called him Nick Satan, and I had never heard that before. Oh That's yeah, actually- people don't like Nick. You know the story, right? Nick Saban says that they're buying all their players. Yes, he's mad that Texas A&M for a second year out recruited him. He says they're just over there buying players. And then yeah. Jimbo Fisher got on the. Oh, he's a he's a bully, and some people think they're God. And why don't you check into his past? <laughs> right. Where there's a new angle that's kind of interesting to this story. Okay. You know that Jimbo Fisher is a former assistant for Nick Saban. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's funny. When Jimbo Fisher says you ought to check his past, he's asking him to check him. Yeah, exactly. He, he was there he's too. part of the past. <laughs> right. Be careful. But there's actually an interesting angle. Multiple sources say that Saban, quote, was making excuses for being beaten in recruiting, which we all know. One anonymous former LSU colleague said Saban, quote, crossed the line and he lashed out because he didn't think anyone would dare to challenge him. Quote, this is interesting. Saban doesn't expect any of his underlings to ever say anything back. Jimbo is the first one to actually punch back, the source said. A lot of these coaches are so careful because he controls their career Saban and Fisher's agent, Jimmy Sexton, handles all of these coaches. So all Saban has to say is, I don't want you representing them anymore. Wow. So this is the first time that an underling, a former assistant, was willing to... That's why Saban thinks he can go say anything about these guys. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 I mean, is Saban, I mean, people are just buying players, though, right? I mean, there's... Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what, the name that's, of the game, though, right? Unfortunately, it's kind of... hate it, but Kind yeah. of the name of the kind game. Kind of the name of the game, yeah. yeah. Well, there's just no control. I mean, they both have a lot of... Um, Saban's right. I mean, the the thing is out of control. It's out of control, yeah. It's out of control. But he's... But who's going to feel sorry for him? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and yeah. you know what? Buy your players. Yeah, right. If, you, if that's what Get in the mud. <laughs> right. there's, there's plenty of room for you, Nick. Uh, Coach Satan or whatever you call it. That's him. right. Yeah. Nick Satan. Yeah. Plenty of room. Willis Reed. You remember that fella? Willis. No. <laughs> His warm-up jacket from Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals, one of the most famous moments in basketball history, is about to hit the auction block, expected to sell for a huge chunk of change. People remember he tore his thigh muscle in Game 5 of the series against L.A., missed Game 6 because of the injury. Willis Reed is coming out of the... That's, look at this! Willis Reed! Yeah, and Marv Albert on the call. That's right. Marv Albert on the Knicks call. appeared to be in huge trouble. Yeah. Wilt was yeah. dominating, and his, no one expected Reed to play in Game 7, despite the Knicks being just... Four quarters from the title after receiving treatment, he came out. Everyone knows all that. So the bidding starts at 10,000 Gs for this Ooh, warm-up jacket. Wow. It ends June 4th. Good okay. luck, everybody. Okay. Winner of the Preakness? Yeah. Early voting at 5-1? to one. Yeah. Where did early voting finish in the Kentucky Derby before winning the Preakness? Hmm. Da, da, How many horses da, da, da. Were, were in horses. it? In the what? In the in the Derby. Oh, there were a lot. Yeah, like eighteen, I think. Okay. Uh, f- incorrect. Seventh. Incorrect. Not in it. Incorrect. Ah, there it is. He didn't run. Okay. Early voting didn't run in the Kentucky Derby. Okay. Because he was getting himself ready for the Preakness. <laughs> Rich Strike, the underdog pony, or not pony, the underdog horsey, yeah. that won the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. 
didn't run in the Preakness. So the Derby winner didn't run in the Preakness, yeah. and the Preakness winner didn't run in the Derby. Remember the days where you were trying to win all three? <laughs> you tried to win Whatever happened? <laughs> Is the triple crown not cool and, anymore? And by the way, <laughs> what kind of a horsey skips the Derby for the Preakness? I was at the Preakness. I've never been to a Derby. Yeah. Okay, there, there's no comparison between the Preakness and the Derby. The Derby is like 5,000 times right. the Preakness. Yeah, yeah. What kind of a horse, what kind of a trainer skips the Derby to get ready for the, that's like me saying, <laughs> I'm going to skip the Masters to get ready for, for the Houston event. <laughs> right. For the San Antonio event. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, that's weird. Um, I got one for you. French Open tennis qualifying match. Okay. So I, I don't know much about this, but you know the French Open is, I think here, I think it's coming this week. French Open, they have qualified. I guess they have a couple spots open for some qualifying. They, they play a little tournament before the tournament. To get, all right. French Open tennis qualifying match involving Israeli athlete Duty Sila. Okay. Hate to bring up a guy named Duty after your story. <laughs> yeah, I didn't times. want to laugh, but okay, yes, Duty. <laughs> was suspected of being, the, the match was suspected of being fixed. No way. This is a French Open tennis qualifying match. Why are we fixing qualifying matches? Well, I, but mean, I got I got the words. Okay. Duty Sila, he's ranked 456th in the world. He was once, by the way, ranked 30, ranked 29th. Okay. So he's ranked 456th. He lost a qualifying match held on Monday against the opposition Bernabe Zabata Marias, who's ranked 112th. 37-year-old Sila who in 2009 got up to 29th in the world, Pretty good. was convincingly beaten by Morales, 6-3, 6-love in the second set. Okay. However, the result of the match was put in doubt as French authorities suspect the game of being rigged. According to L'Equipe yes. in France, did I say that right? The aforementioned second set, the 6-love second set, which the Spaniard swept 6-love, was the subject of a disproportionately high amount of online betting. The bets were coming in in three online markets in droves. You can't get away with anything anymore. In Cyprus, Armenia, and Ukraine. <laughs> An investigation Jesus. into the match has not yet been open. So let me get this straight. In a qualifying match for the US, uh, for the French Open, not a French Open match, a qualifying there's betting online, live betting online, yeah. where millions of dollars were coming in on the famed Sila Morales match. <laughs> and just the, just the second set. They were betting on the second set. And he was just and he was apparently part of it. That's what they think. Oh, jeez. That he's had, he had guys taking like betting again. Yeah, he was taking a dive. And by the way, if you're gonna take a dive, you don't lose six love. Does he need me to tell him how to take a dive? I'm wondering if they thought Lose maybe... six three, six yeah. four, yeah, right. six two and a half. Yeah, I know how to shape points in this world. Come on, six love? Yeah. Come maybe, on, you could do better than that. Maybe they thought, look, it's a qualifying match. Nobody's going to be watching know. and we're going to go right oh, under and, the radar. And, and, and what but kind of website is taking bets on the second that, set of a qualifying match? You can bet match. on anything online. You Jesus. Two drops of water on the Crazy. ceiling. I keep telling you, which drops first? Crazy. That's pretty funny, though. They thought they could get away with it. Because if you do it on a big event, it might draw more attention. It's actually the opposite because no one's betting on qualifying. <laughs> Matches. So if there's any spike All in betting, all of a sudden there was a spike <laughs> yeah. on the only on the second set. <laughs> the second set. Don't lose it six love though if you're uh, involved. No, you got to be better than that. Take it to a tiebreaker, but then that you, then you run the risk of winning it by mistake. <laughs> Poor organized crime. I just feel yeah. sorry for them. They can't get away with anything anymore. No. A mom breastfeeding her baby ran out of her house and saved the family's pet goose from a bald eagle's talons. 
and it's all on video. Did it happen here I, in the, next to your car? The crazy the scene day. Pl played out in Canada where a family surveillance camera captured the moment of an eagle swooping down and tried oh to carry God. off a goose. It was like pulling the goose away. Huh. Springing the mother into action with no shirt on Jesus. because she was breastfeeding before she could put down her baby and put on a top. She just ran she out. She put the baby down. Put the baby down, ran out with no top, scared the eagle away. And yes. The, and the poor goose goes waddling back to its little home because it's like their pet. And the, he was scared to death. He was making a honking of noise. Was. Of course he was. Uh, the whole thing's caught on camera. You were scared like when they're doing the... That eagle, man, those things are big. He might have been able to pull Piper up off the ground. I mean, he could no. get like a teenager, I think, if he really tried. He's, those things are huge. I'll do my last two or three. Okay. And then you can do... Do you have RIPs? Yeah, I got, uh, I think, one, but I got another and then quick... you got, Do you have headlines? Yes. Oh, you have another one you want to do before any of that? I was going to read all three. Okay, go you ahead. You want me to do it now? Yeah. Do you know of anything called Granite Point? No. See, then maybe this will fall flat. Okay. Somebody in our audience does. It's fine. Washington State Cougars should know Granite Point. I don't know Granite Point. Apparently, Granite Point is a popular place for Washington State students and University of Idaho students to go drink and do whatever. Gotcha. I don't know where it is. Oh, heading students, to the old point. <laughs> students often visit the area to celebrate the end of classes. People also cliff jump in the area, oh, okay, which cool. is prohibited. So, so these is it on the Columbia? I don't know. Okay. These activities, these activities have become more and more dangerous, says a release. And so alcohol has been, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking news, alcohol has been banned at Granite Point. Aww. So if you're, if you're planning to go to Granite Point anytime soon, yeah. to either jump off a cliff or drink alcohol, you'll be breaking the rules. <laughs> Saturday Night Live's 47th season is over. Yeah, I've got to The season finale up. is up. Yeah. And your, your, your buddy's leaving, right? Pete Davidson, Kate McKinnon, A.D. Bryant, oh. Kyle Mooney, are the Woo. cast members that said goodbye That's on four Saturday big night. ones. Is it? Tough shoes to replace. AD Bryant's just absolutely hilarious. Well, Kate McKinnon, too. I, I love... Yeah, that's, Kate that's McKinnon drives me crazy now because of the Verizon. I can't watch her anymore. She, she ruined me on the Verizon thing. It's crazy she was still on SNL. I feel like we got a bonus season. She was like too yeah, big to I be on it. it. I lost it. I used to be a huge fan. She's still very funny. As soon as the Verizon thing came out, I'm out. It's, it's, it's a lot. I did the money making. And on my last one, did I do that? I did that. I did that. Check, check, check. Last one is, you know how houses are selling like hotcakes? Yes, they are. Houses here, Russell Wilson, Denver. My neighborhood. You know, your All, neighborhood. Yeah. They're selling like hotcakes. L.A., hotter than hot. Yep. Well, there's one L.A. mansion that's having trouble being sold. Oh, okay. And it's not believed to be the price being the issue, although the price keeps coming down. It's in the ritzy section of Bel Air. Oh, do you know Bel Air? Sure, yeah. What do you know about Bel Air? Oh, Bel Air's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. This is the 7,106 square foot home that's been on the market forever it was once 32 million 28 million down to 25 million the the the, the real estate guy is having trouble moving the house yeah. owned by the bin ladens <laughs> yeah that would do it i guess ibrahim oh god bin laden uh, i think i read this right one of 55 brothers is that possible? Well, I, I think if you can have multiple <laughs> wives. Didn't Osama have multiple wives? I don't wives? know. I don't know much about Osama. Would you want to live in a house owned by the Bin Ladens? Yes. Tomorrow. You would? What, if it's a nice house and I get it for a no. a song? No, I want no part of it. Yeah, but again, not, no. not every Bin Laden is Osama, right? I mean, maybe there's some nice ones, some friendly ones who don't want to. But you got to. That guy is so creepy to me. Yeah. That if he was ever like there for a cup of coffee, I I, I don't want the house. Oh, just like the aura. I, now, what of I would what I would do, I might I might be willing to buy it and knock it down, and start property, all over yeah. 
for the property. I might even not do that. Wow. Oh, see, yeah, I would totally be freaked out. Totally. But I see, I like those Manson houses. No, no, and but I, this, is, this goes beyond Manson. This is... Yeah, it wasn't his house, though. It's not Osama no, it's Bin Laden's his family. house. It's one of his 55 brothers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. God damn. I, 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 how many brothers? How, does he know all of them? Thanks, <laughs> Thanksgiving. How does that work? Who pays for Thanksgiving dinner? Holy shit. Well, they had 7,000 square feet. It's <laughs> a lot of food. So if you want the Bin Laden house yeah. in Bel Air, it's down to 24 and change, I think. I think in a couple of weeks, it'll be down... Lower than that. Do they have to still call it that? Can't they come up with another name for it? I mean, does he have to call it the Bin Laden? They don't call it that. I'll call it that. All right, good. It's probably smart. I can't. I know. I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah. Not me. I'm in. You're in. I think it's a cool story, too. What's a cool story? I mean, the fact that some Bin Ladens owned this house. I mean, that's something kind of cool about that. No. Not that what the the brother did was cool, but. Straight evil. Yeah. Oh, of course it's evil. I know. I know. But just the whole. Yeah. Anything that. Anything that's even Associated like, with like that. nine degrees of separate, whatever they say, yeah. anything to me, pure and utter evil. It can't, was. Can't be, a, can't be a part. Well, this is not evil. A TikTok star, well, maybe it was. A TikTok star says she got an What's adult. What's TikTok? Go an ahead. adult toy Sorry, stuck in her tuchus. Are we back to And had to get it surgically tuchus? removed. It's tuchus. Tuchus. <laughs> okay, it's not tuchus. Yeah, but I, I can't do that very well. You got to do it. If you're going to do the word, this is like if you're going to sell the AirPods to the 16-year-old, yeah. then you let them repair them too. Tuchus. If you're going to go tuchus, yeah. then it's tuchus. What about a chazer? Chazer. 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 Right. How do you know chazer? I've told you. You don't know what I am. Maybe I was raised Jewish. I, I do know what you, you are. You weren't raised Jewish. <laughs> both. I know both. The woman who goes by the handle, Safzalofs, lives in the UK, shared this horror story, even posted the x-ray images of it oh, inside geez. her body. Oh, she said she couldn't go to the hospital the night it happened, so she tried sleeping, but the toy continued to buzz throughout the night. As you'd imagine, that made for some serious tossing and turning. When she finally got to the hospital, the doctors struggled to get it out, and the only option was a surgical procedure. And so. that's not the headline? Uh, no. That's I've, not one of the headlines? I have six. I have too many. All right, quick RIP. Yes? Music legend Vangelis has passed away. At the age of 79. I feel like I know the name do. Vangelis. Do I? He's the composer behind what number one song that was in a 1981 film. And the album, the soundtrack, also hit number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. Vangelis. Uh, it was shocking that this song hit number one in this country. On like the- it was a movie theme? Yeah. Like not Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire. Did I get it right? Dun, 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 dun. Guess that was. I said a 1981 film. Wasn't that unbelievable? Yeah, I guess but, yeah. Yeah. He also did You know the- what I was thinking? I was thinking Breakfast Club. Like, it was a Breakfast Club. Uh, Breakfast Club Elmo's, was. St. Elmo's Fire is what I was thinking. Yeah, there were, for a second. There was two from St. Elmo's Fire. There was the instrumental, but then there was also, I think it was John Parr. And to be the man in motion. He also scored Ridley Scott's 1982 film Blade Runner. So he was a pretty talented okay. dude. He collaborated with your buddy John Anderson from Yes as well, releasing four studio albums with him. So he was 79 Where years old. Where is John Anderson these days? Well, there's two yeses now. Oh, really? Yeah, there's, there's, there's two. There's been two for a while. So the one that our buddy Alan White was in. He, How's he doing? I haven't seen him for a while. Um, um, they So the one that Alan's in has 
like a John Anderson clone in his band. And then there's yeah. the John Anderson, yes, that has some That's other so guys. That it's too do confusing. Your, do your headlines. I yes. shouldn't have asked. <laughs> Sometimes I regret asking. Well, you, I don't. I don't have the. I don't have the bandwidth to even listen to the answer. It would be nice if Yes was just together with I all have, the originals. I have family members who drive me crazy. I won't name whom they are. Okay. That ask questions, and while you're literally before you even start to answer, they ask you a question before they you start to answer. They start talking to somebody else about something else. I had dinner with one of those last oh, night. God. Oh. He and can't. it ain't fish, and it ain't Harold. <laughs> He just can't listen. No desire. Then don't ask a question. Uh, I would agree with you, yes. A trio of paper plane enthusiasts broke a Guinness World Record in South Korea when they sent a folded paper airplane for a flight of 252 feet without stopping. It's a pretty good paper airplane shot, right? Yeah. 252 feet without stopping? How'd you do that, said Southwest Airlines? A university oh. of that's always layovers with them. A University <laughs> of Arkansas baseball fan became a viral hero when he used his bare hands to catch a raccoon that Ooh. was in the stands between Ooh. the innings. Ooh. When asked if the Arkansas native had any experience catching raccoons, the man said, "What do you think I do for Thanksgiving morning?" Arkansas. A team of. You don't have to explain them each time. I think I do. A team of university. <laughs> this one I'm going to have to. A team of university students are aiming to change the way people eat their burritos with a new invention edible tape to keep notoriously messy foods such as burritos yeah. tacos Red, and wraps together night. yeah more great work from the university of snoop dog a vermont high school senior <laughs> officially somebody high had to come up with that right a vermont high school senior unofficially you don't have to explain i do that one especially uh broke a guinness world record by walking nearly 640 feet on a tightrope while wearing four inch heels and to think i couldn't even pass the roadside sobriety test I've never taken it. Calm down. <laughs> a woman is facing felony charges for allegedly beating her husband with a belt Ooh. after she caught him watching pornography on his cell phone oh. and playing touchy selfie. To make the belt beating even worse, she was the reigning WWE heavyweight champion of the world. Oh. You don't have to. Don't explain it. It's a big belt. <laughs> and finally, a generous married couple in the I'll UK took in a 22-year-old Ukrainian refugee. Nice thing to do. Ten days later, the dad ran off with her. The man claims that the mix-up occurred when he was actually signed up to give a refugee some benefits and instead received a refugee with benefits. What's he supposed to do? Very good. Okay, so next weekend is Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend. It is, yes. This coming weekend, I guess I should say. Yes. We're going to take a break. We're going to well, take a little unfiltered break. It's good. we got to recharge, come up with funnier jokes. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, we do. <laughs> And I'll be in Wenatchee if anyone wants to say hello to me. Cause Preparing the jokes for the next show. <laughs> yeah, I won't be doing that. Wenatchee's just packed with baseball and softball tournaments. Okay. So, so come say hello if you're if you're in the area. I guess it's the it's kind of the unofficial start to summer. It is, yeah, yeah. Because I it's kind of not the real start to summer, but it's the unofficial. It's the unofficial start. Yeah. It's like the first like yeah. maybe camping trip of the year, outdoor thing of the year. So. so if you love these Monday shows, you love these Monday shows. We won't have a Monday show next week. Or this coming week, as it might be. And then uh, we'll take a, a couple of peace shows. They'll take that week off after Memorial Day. I so like there it. will be peace shows this week. Yes. And if you have anything to say, you have any constructive criticism, <laughs> Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. If you'd like to become a patron but you can't handle the $5 a month, write me. We'll figure it all out, okay? You follow me at Scott Soden on Twitter. I haven't gotten a few followers for a while. Yeah, I mean, come, come say hello. Yeah, I don't even – what am I? I'm at Mitch. Oh, Mitch underscore Seattle. Now, that's not the hyphen. That's not. It's what I hear, yes. 
192, ladies and gentlemen. We're almost four years old in November, believe it or not. It's in the books. Hi, Harold. 